and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and I welcome you to the 14th episode of the show. We're starting to get into numbers I can't even count up to now. My guest this week is an indie developer who started out designing and working on games all the way back in 1992 and has been doing so ever since. He's worked for multiple companies and publishers, most notably the now-defunct developer Acclaim a large developer who were extremely popular in the 90s and the early 2000s. He's worked or been involved in the development of over 40 titles. His resume includes games such as NBA Jam, Torok Two Seeds of Evil, South Park Chef's Love Shack, Batman Forever, and Torok Evolution, which happens to be a personal favourite of mine. Now he's the head of his own studio, Atui, which he uses for side projects such as Totes the Goat, a mobile title for iOS, but... More importantly, co-founder and chairman of the indie studio Renegade Kid. Under the Renegade Kid name, my guest and his team have developed games such as Xenodrifter, first-person shooters for the DS, Moon and Dimension, ATV Wild Ride, and most recently, Mutant Muds Super Challenge, a re-release of the studio's hit 2012 title, Mutant Muds. He's the Renegade Kid himself, Mr. Jules Watchum. Hello, Jules! Hey, man. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing on this fine yeah, day? It's a very nice, very nice intro. I appreciate that. It's very oh, nice, no problem. Nice. You have, I'm, you I'm have been good. working in games for a long time. I have. It's gone by faster than I would like. But I'm still, <laughs> I'm still enjoying it, which is good. Like every few years, I'll check on that. Am I still liking it? Yes, I'm still liking it. That's good. Yeah, I'll that, continue that, doing that. That's what I found amazing. <laughs> it, like almost uh, when I was reading, because I was reading a lot about you this week and I was reading the various interviews you've done over the previous years and Almost every time you're like, someone's like, you've been doing games for a long time. And you're like, yep, and I still love it. And I, I, I still think it's great. It's the best job in the world. Yeah. That's I such a great it. positive attitude to have. I feel very fortunate, especially now that we're making our own games. That really sealed the deal for me. I mean, working yeah. for Acclaim was wonderful. I mean, it was highs and lows. Had wonderful uh, emotional attachment to that period of my life, for sure. Great friends that I still, you know, uh, are friends today. But... Yeah, as soon as you started Renegade Kid, it was like, I felt like I was my 12-year-old self back in my home with my family making games in my bedroom. It felt like that, like I can now do what I want to do rather than what someone else is telling me to do, Um, which was (laughs) like, wow, that's awesome. Um, I mean, you know, it comes with its own stresses and everything else, but to me, that's, that's, it's worth it. It's worth the the difficult stuff to, uh, to be able to kind of make what you want and, and truly... Yeah, I mean, to get paid to do what you love, I mean, that that is literally what life's about, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. So how, so now you are obviously running Renegade Kid and your own little studio, Atui. Um, right. But tell me how it started. How did you get into game development or the games industry specifically? Um, so I was going to college in London, uh, Farringdon at the time. Uh, doing a graphic design thing okay and then uh, one lunchtime um i was wandering around uh the area just to see what's up yeah. and i completely by accident came across um emap images which at the time was a really big publishing house um in england uh, of video game magazines print magazines this was before the internet <laughs> Um, there was a time right i know um and i happened to have uh one of the magazines on me at the time uh, okay the one for the amiga um so it was like just you know i just i was geeking out i was a fan i was like oh my gosh this is so cool the magazine that i buy every month is made right here that's so neat and it was a really tall kind of building and so it was quite you know an imposing fun kind of yeah discovery um and it's a nice junction point in my life 
where I, you know you make a decision: do I walk in and ask for a job, or do I not? Um, and obviously, it's completely reasonable to say no. I'm just going to be like, "That's cool," and keep on walking. Um, but obviously, to cut, cut a very long story short, I did walk in and ask for a job, and and actually did get it as a trainee staff writer. That's uh, amazing. The, the age of seventy. <laughs> so very cheap and enthusiastic is basically, I think, why I got it. Yeah. I had the balls to go in there and actually ask for a job, and they're like, "Sure." <laughs> You can uh, you can organize our uh, our photos and filing cabinet and do all the kind of all the grunt work for a while and then I actually did get into writing reviews and traveling around England and uh, uh, visiting That's developers. Amazing. It, it That's was so inc- good. Yeah, it was incredible. That was, so that was my entry point. I worked there for a year and then I then actually got into game development a year later as a pixel artist uh, in London as well at the Sales Curve. Okay, so from there, obviously you are now based in Austin, Texas. Right. You're originally from the UK. What, so what happened in terms of moving to America? Where was the game development point at that then and why? Well, that's a um, big move. Yeah, I was working at the sales curve um, and I applied for a job at Iguana Entertainment, who's in northern England. Uh, they were, you know, they're very well known for NBA Jam and, and games yeah. like that. Um, Turok. Uh, well, yeah, and, and Iguana, actually, UK, uh, specifically, that studio made NBA Jam. But uh, oh. Iguana US made Turok, for example. So ah. they kind of both did their own their own kind of line of games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I applied for a job there, uh, and I got the job. And uh, they said for the first three months, we'll send you over to America for training. Because I was still very young, you know, and experienced. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, great. Three-month vacation in America. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. And then I'll come back to England and work. I was like, that's awesome. That sounds great. Um and then, so so I moved over to, it was in Northern California at the time, in uh, Sunnyvale. Um, but that same year, the whole company decided to move down to Austin, Texas. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll go down there with them, I mean, whatever. Um, and uh, weirdly enough, we just never talked about me moving back. So I, do, I just didn't. You just stayed. <laughs> yeah, I just stayed. So yeah, I, I just... I, it, Boop, boop, boop. 18, Mom, uh, Dad. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna stay. I, think, I, I don't think I'm coming home. <laughs> but that was a good way for me. You know, being a late teenager at that time, eighteen, nineteen, that was a good way to do it. You know, I think if I'd have been presented with the option to, hey, do you want to move to the states? That's yes, incredible. No. 18, I mean, I, I would have probably said yes, but it would have been a more difficult decision. That's a that's a, <laughs> that's a very big decision to make at eighteen. It is. It's an incredibly it is. big decision. Well, to be fair, you know, we are twenty years down the line now, and it's all worked out very well. <laughs> yeah, very well. So yeah, and I've been here ever since. I've been in Austin ever since. So it's it's been a long time, and. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so there you go. Just, there you go. <laughs> so some of the games you worked on at Acclaim are very mm. big games. Acclaim was a huge studio mm-hmm. at the time. Um, unfortunately, now defunct. But you made games like Turok and NBA Jam. I want to. I want to quickly talk from a fan perspective about Turok Evolution, because me and my brother, when we got a GameCube, we played many games like super mario sunshine um you know super smash brothers all the kind of thing but one game we incessantly played non-stop for a very long time was the multiplayer in Turok evolution oh wow cool okay we played yeah. that game for such a long time because oh what was it there was one level uh in the multiplayer maps it was what was it called cell something the trees Oh, what was it called? Please do you know. <laughs> um, the, the level name? The level name. It, it was um, it, it was like uh, you were in the trees. It was like a complex in the trees. Okay. And you, if you, if you went down, if you went down 
um, to the ground. There was like raptors down there. I so I was kind of like helping out in that one. So I'm not okay. As, um, uh, it was called Selkirk like... Complex. Selkirk Complex. That's okay. what I remember. And you could run around in the trees, uh, like on these bridges. And if you fell down, you could fall down and climb back up. But there would be raptors at the bottom. Oh, that's fun. So me yeah. and my brother would always play with like plasma cannons or the dark right. matter cube to try and knock right. each other off the bridges. <laughs> right. That's awesome. I just wanted um, to say thank you because <laughs> those was those were some of the funnest times I had on the GameCube. I really awesome, really man. enjoyed Turok Evolution. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a fan as well. I, mean, I didn't really, I can't take any credit <laughs> for that game. I mean, I kind of came in a little bit later. I mean, the the, the team. Uh, we're pretty much done. I, I think I, at the time, I think I was maybe assistant creative director or, or maybe becoming creative director. I can't okay. remember at the time. It was towards the end of Acclaim's life. Um, the last couple of years anyway, before they, they closed down. And I think I was really just helping out, kind of just tune it and some cinemas and some some maps and stuff. So okay. uh, yeah, I know the team worked crazy hard to to finish that game. Oh my gosh, it was a it was a big project. So what about uh Turok 2 Cities of Evil? Did you have much um I, I did some of the multiplayer maps on Turok 2. Okay. That was because I played I a lot of that as well. Yeah, that was fun. That was cuz you know, that was so long ago. Yeah. It was um you know, obviously Quake and, and games like that had done uh, some great multiplayer stuff yeah. on the PC and stuff like that. So for us it was trying to learn from those kinds of games that were awesome and had done great multiplayer stuff. Oh, Goldeneye of course. Um Yeah. And we were trying to look at that and trying to figure out, well, what is the essence of, of good multiplayer? And then designing um, within the limitations of what we had to do on the N64, um, creating, you know, this multiplayer map. So that was a fun design kind of exercise. Um, and a lot of times the figure of eight kind of map, where you always come back in, in and on yourself and make sure there's a center area and just yeah. the basic kind of um, um, building blocks of, of a decent multiplayer map where you encourage people to to engage with each other and you can't just camp out necessarily um too easily anyway uh it was fun yeah it was a fun process so yeah, yeah. i worked on some of the multiplayer maps which is really really fun yeah fantastic and torok torok had some I mean, amazing weapons like the cerebral oh, brawl and the team was having immense, so much fun immense yeah. weapons like when really? torok one was being made i was working on iggy's wrecking balls and it was just it was so fun to kind of see what they were working on, you know, and the cerebral ball and all that crazy stuff. And, and just the animations on the dinosaurs and on the humans, yeah. the way they would die and the death animations were like a big thing at the time. That was like a big selling point, like a bullet point almost, you know, realistic, <laughs> elaborate death animations. You know, it was, it was a thing. Um, and they took that very seriously in a fun way. Um, it was important to the game. And yeah. it, rightly so. It was a, a feature of the game yeah. that was somewhat superb unique series. Su- yeah, wonderful series. games. Uh, David Denspear was the, the project lead of those games. Uh, very creative, did an amazing job, worked his tail off, and the whole team worked so hard uh, against quite the odds, quite a lot of pressure. Acclaim, as a company, was relying very heavily on those games. Um, so considering the pressure that was on them, and especially David, uh, they pulled off uh well they did an amazing job they couldn't have done yeah. any better honestly those games fantastic and they're coming out on they're doing uh re-releases of those games um is it on the pc or what is it coming to but they're doing hd versions of those really of okay yeah. i did not know about that i'm not sure what platforms it might be coming to a console but if not definitely pc steam probably anyway but yeah so that's pretty cool fantastic so that'd be fun. yeah so that'd be fun to get back to the hd version of of the original Turok would be awesome. <laughs> so obviously now you're working your own studio and indie development studio and that kind of thing. And I imagine throughout your whole career, the most proudest you've ever been about a game is 
from one that's come from Renegade Kid. But while you were working at Acclaim, obviously this was like your first big role. You became mm-hmm. assistant creative lead towards the end of the the, right. um, the end of Acclaim's life. But what was it? What was it that made you most proud while working at Acclaim? What game were you like, man? This game, I poured my heart and soul into it for Acclaim. This is the one that I'm most proud of. Um, it would probably it probably have to be one of the earlier ones I worked on, Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel. Because the uh, uh, Super Nintendo game, the Super it? Nintendo yeah. and Genesis um, versions of that. I, it was the first time I, I was in a leadership role. Okay, so I was the lead, lead artist on that yeah. project. Uh, still very young. Um, I don't know. I was maybe I don't even know twenty ish. Oh my um, word! Wow. And uh, gave the responsibility to be a lead artist on a game for Sunsoft. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, Sunsoft, for anyone who doesn't know, is this massive Japanese oh, developer and publisher. Huge, yeah, huge respect for them. Huge we, company. Yeah. And David Siller uh, was really the creative lead from Sunsoft uh, uh, okay. overseeing these projects, uh, who is an amazing guy, works on many great games. Uh, one of the big ones on a PS2 game called Maximo, which was like a... The gladiator uh, kind of type a, a pseudo sequel to ghouls and ghosts in a way yes uh, which is interesting wonderful game anyway yeah. um but um uh yeah i think that game um because it was you know a personal uh challenge for me to step away from i can just i, I get a job I, I get paid to, to make stuff look yeah. cool to oh now i actually have to be responsible for a project and actually then <laughs> uh, lead people and i have people working for me as well as actually having my own schedule of stuff to do so you know quite a learning process on yeah. on how to do that how not to do that um so and and i think the end result was cool i thought i'm really proud of the artwork i think it was really um yeah it was a fun project so i think that was that that, that one's probably the most i feel most proudest of um because it was quite uh quite a challenge you know fantastic so yeah, obviously now you are renegade kid and i imagine you're immensely proud of that but what was the transition like from being safe in a studio house working with big teams to now being like, I'm on my own. This is scary. <laughs> what, what am I going to do kind of thing? Or did you always have an idea, always have a plan? That I always, I'm- you know what, what's funny is, I don't know if I realized it at the time, but I suddenly realize it now. It's really what I had literally always wanted. <laughs> Even from when I was a kid in my bedroom, uh, on my Commodore 64 Spectrum, Amiga, ST, etc. Um, that is what I, unbeknownst to me, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be making my own games on my own terms and releasing them. Yeah. Um, and then when I finally got to do that with Renegade Kid, it just felt right. I mean, yeah, there's challenges. It's difficult. You know, it's, you know, it's not easy, but, but those are just, uh, necessary evils, you know, to then fulfill something that is important, you know, to, to me. So it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I've never really looked back. I mean, the only reason I wouldn't do this is if it just literally wasn't working out financially and I just had yeah. to get a job to pay my bills. Yeah. But then I'd still be working back to how do I get back to being independent, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it feels right. Um, I love it. It's what, really, do you, what really... do you feel is the most important thing that potential indie developers need to know? Because there are so many people now and there are so many ways in which people can jump into game development with Unity yeah. and other programs such as that game maker and all that kind of thing but what is like what do you wish you would have known before you decided to become obviously you were a very experienced developer by that point anyway but what do you feel is very important specifically for indie developers to know um 
I think it's important to for your first game. I think a lot of people um, put a tremendous amount of importance on their first game, and that's not necessarily wrong. Um, but it can result in the game never getting finished um, because it's so hard and so difficult and so big in scope and you want it to be the perfect best game you've ever dreamed of and the world's going to be rocked by it and that kind of stuff, um, which is the right attitude to have. But but a lot of times that's simply impossible for you to achieve as your first game. So it ends up not getting made and you're like, oh, well, that sucked. And then it might might deter you and you may not, not try again. Yeah, so, you're like, all my ideas went into that one project. Yeah, now that I failed, have no so ideas. I'm done. <laughs> and that failed. Um, so I think it's good to at least try and set yourself a goal where you're like, I'm going to do a game, you know, and it needs to be special to you. You need to, yeah. you know, it needs to be something that you love. But, um, but um, and even if it is huge and epic and grand, games like Cave Story, obviously, you know, he, you know, one person made that over many years. You know, he did it. He stuck through it. He had yeah. his own Most recently we've had Stardew Valley, um, which was... right the developer concerned ape and he was working as a cinema usher for four years while in his spare time dedicating all of it to stardew valley and that's worked out really well for him yeah so so that can be the extreme of something that does take many years to do um but it takes a certain personality to stick to it and not give up um so if you do have that discipline then awesome go for it because i think you then really do make a footprint a mark on the industry with games like those um, because they're so unique, special, and, and, and grand, and you can't help but see that, wow, this is a labor of love. This is awesome. Um, uh, like Downwell in a recent game. Yes, from um, a Japanese which, developer as well. Exactly. In yeah. his bedroom. Yeah, I got to meet him actually at Last Pax. He's a super nice guy, very humble, nice guy. Fantastic. And, just, loved, and just loving it, just loving the fact that he made a game and did it right, and he got support from... Um, Devolver Digital, who are a great company, who I know great quite well here in Austin. Yeah. Um, you know, it just worked out perfectly. So good for him. Awesome game. Awesomely successful. Um, because he, he made something that he wanted to make on his own terms, on his own timetable, yeah. which is perfect. But not everyone's like that. So if you're someone <laughs> where you're like, yeah, I don't know if I can do that because I have other responsibilities or other interests in the world, then maybe just bite off something a little bit smaller just to kind of get get in there. You finish it. You get it out. Um, and you're like, great, that's awesome. And you'll learn yeah. an immense amount from to going through that process, getting it on the store, whatever store it might be, whether it be iOS or, you know, or whatever, or yeah. Steam. Um, and, um, it's worth going through that entire process to go, wow, okay, cool. Am I going to do this again? You know, what do I do better next time? What do I avoid yeah. next time? And that kind of stuff. Experience. Well, fantastic. Well, anybody, uh, long listeners who <laughs> want to get into indie development... There's, there's your there's your first tip there, there you go and really uh, the, the, the the i guess the snappy bi- uh, soundbite version would be literally do not give up because it's it you'll come across many roadblocks that will encourage you to give up and you just the key is just don't you know and yeah. some days you'll think your game sucks and some days you'll think it's the best thing since sliced bread and that's totally normal <laughs> and it happens to me every project. <laughs> Some days I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm making the right game. They've made a terrible mistake. And the next day I'm like, this is genius. That's the soundbite. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll go through an emotion, you know, roller coaster of emotions. And uh, Has there been a time with Renegade Kid that you felt this project's not going anywhere? I'm. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> we've canned many projects. Even okay. though we've made, we've been quite prolific. We've made lots of games. You have you for a short time. Place. You've made a yeah. lot of games. Uh, but we've actually cancelled a lot of games as well. Yeah, 
the, the ideas just keep coming. <laughs> well, it's important to, you know, because when you have so much time and so many people yeah. to make, um, it's important. Like if I get that feeling of, ah, I just, you may spend, you know, a week or a month on something and, and you may have had some really exciting times about it, but if you feel in your gut, it's not quite working, you know, and for me, I don't give up on it easily. I'm like, all right, I give a little bit more time. And if that feeling comes back again, I'm like, ah, and it's not just some weird loosey goosey spiritual feeling. It's like, there are, there are logical, practical reasons for why you're feeling that way. Yeah. And if you can justify and isolate those feelings, you can be like, ah, oh, yeah, this is probably not a good idea. I need to axe it and move on Fair to do enough. something different. We've done that lots of times. And, it, and that's just as important, you know. When it comes to games, what you don't do in the game is just as important as what you do do in the game, um, what you delete. Um, just because you've made it doesn't mean it has a right to be in the game you're making. Just because it exists, you know, doesn't mean it shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Axed. Yeah, there was one thing that always stuck with me. Very silly as it was, though, was I don't know if you've ever seen the Double Fine documentary, which is about them making Broken Age. Oh no, Tim Schafer Studio. Very very yeah, very very good documentary. Cool. It gives a good perspective into game development for anyone who doesn't right. know about it. Um, but the, there's a bit where one of his artists is drawing, and the artist is like, ah, screws up the, the paper, throws it in the bin. And then Tim Schafer comes in, and he's like, why are you throwing in this bin? What are you doing? Just because you don't like it doesn't mean I won't like it. And right. <laughs> you don't know what people are going to like, whether you like right. it or not. Yeah. Keep all your ideas and try and work with them and see how far they can go. And I thought yeah. that was always quite poignant. Definitely. Yeah. And I've had I've had lots of ideas where, you know, we've we've canned the project, we've done something else, and then years later I can resurrect that idea or an element of that idea for something yeah. new we're working on. So many times I've done that. Like I, I'll keep them as my library of ideas on my hard drive or whatever. And I'll always quite occasionally, especially when it comes time to come up with a new game, I'll go back through my old folders and see if there's any little nuggets of inspiration in there. Like, oh, I like that little character. He was pretty cool. But if we do something completely different with him, but that was neat. Let's take that and do something different with it or whatever. That happens a lot. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, well, yeah, we're going to talk sorry. about video games now and we're going to talk well, about the games that have stuck with you. All right. And, uh, surprisingly for how long you've been in the industry um, and you know how many games you must have played over the years, most of your games are relatively new games and yeah. mostly specifically from one certain Japanese company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, do, I do love Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go straight into it and talk about your first right. game. Cool. And let's dive straight in. All right. Okay, so the first game on your list today, Jules, 
was originally released in 1984 and developed by Alexei Pechyov after developing the game whilst working at a computer center in Moscow. It's been released for almost every platform under the sun, but it wasn't until the release of the NES version, licensed by Nintendo in 1998, that then spawned the 1989 Game Boy release that truly made this game a commercial hit. It sold worldwide to date, in all its various incarnations, over 170 million copies. The game is known for having superb music, superb gameplay that is very Soviet-inspired. It is Tetris. Jules, please tell me why Tetris is on your list. Well, the way I approached my list, um, I had eight slots to fill, even yes. though I did try and sneak in a, a sneaky ninth, but I don't think you, you did. let that one in. Um, <laughs> you can talk about that one later. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the way I approached it was, it's, it's in, to, in categories to kind of suit the different moods and, and things that you naturally go through, you know? So Tetris fits that, you know, I just need something mindless, something fun. I don't want to think too much. I just want to zone out, get zinned into something and just, it's, it's just a time waster. You know, it's just fun. You're not committing too much and you can be there for as short amount of time or as long amount of time as you want. It's just very non-committal. It's just a fun uh, thing. It's a toy. It's a toy you can play with, basically. Yeah. You know? um, and it's a brilliant toy. It's probably one of the best toys, uh, digital toys, <laughs> that's ever been made. Um, you know, it's it's just ridiculously simple, but so complex to to play. It's just it's amazing, really, that this game happened in in kind of an almost accidental way, as far as being a video game. Yeah. You know, they were just experimenting with shapes and stuff, mm-hmm. tetrominoes. Um, but then eventually, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it ended up being this, which uh, a wonderful. A wonderful. I actually got to meet uh, him, and uh, oh my gosh, I forgot the other guy's name who runs the Tetris company. Ah, oh, forgot the name. But got to meet both of them at E3 one year. So that was. I have a photo with with them to prove it too. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Pixel, get so, the hell out. <laughs> so so that was that was exciting. But yeah, it's just it's just. Um, I can't think of any other puzzle game that is so has so many so few parts. So simple, um, but is is so fun um, for no good reason. Um, to play. <laughs> I mean, not many games or any games I can think of, apart from Tetris, that have achieved that simplistic brilliance. You know. Yeah. So obviously, the Game Boy version released, which is the one you're talking about today, it released in yep. uh, 1989, which was two years around about before you got into the games industry. Mm-hmm. Was this kind of you what was it what like for you getting the game boy version at that time obviously you've been playing the amiga for many years and you obviously were a fan you're buying magazines about video games but what was it about the game boy version of tetris you were like oh my god this this is just amazing i think it was it was probably one of my first um experiences with a handheld which felt very unique and strange in an awesome way to me. Like, because I'd, you know, I grew up with a Spectrum 48K first, then the Commodore 64, the ST, the Amiga, and so on. And then this Game Boy comes along. Um, and I, I'd, I'd also played the NES as well. But yeah, the Game Boy was so unique because it was just a self contained thing. The battery life was pretty good. So it was actually was portable. It wasn't, you know, a, a trick where you had to plug it in after two minutes, you know? Um, yeah. And, um, and it just had that wonderful, solid, um, slick um, presentation, you know. It just There was no waste. There was no fat. It was just all there because it needed to be. Um, and I just – there was a lot of appreciation for that. Whereas the games I'd grown up with, um, especially in Europe, you know, with, like I say, from the Spectrum all the way up to the Amiga. Yeah. Some wonderful game experiences, but a lot of them 
have a lot of artistry and a lot of fluff and, and which is great. Um, but there's a lot of fluff and a lot of kind of, um, like I say artistry, you know, there's a lot of kind of demo scene type people that are, you know, have influenced the games or worked on the games of their era. Um, so they're, they're, they're quite showpieces uh, on the Amiga and the ST and so on, even the Commodore 64. So the, the Game Boy and especially Tetris was so not that. <laughs> it was so simple, uh, but so brilliant. Um, are you a big really... fan of puzzle games anyway, in general? You know what? No. Yeah, yes and no. Yeah, kind of. Most people I um, ask that question about Tetris, they're like, mm, not really, but yeah. Tetris has always stuck with me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I this is the one. I mean, obviously, because that's on my list. But um, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's not. I know. I wouldn't say I'm a huge puzzle fan. I'm not. I, I do enjoy them. Um, but yeah. Um, but no, I don't go after them. I don't look out for them. No, not really. Tetris is definitely one. But yeah, and I think it was the handheld nature of it as well. And then that. And today, I'm a huge handheld fan. That's why we made so many 3DS games. Yes. Um, and, and Man 3DS, after my own heart, I think the I think the DS and the 3DS is one of the best platforms ever made. Oh yeah. I, yeah. For me, the I've got I've got uh, a new 3DS, um, uh, the smaller one. Um, yeah. A white one with the faceplates. I actually have the grey uh, suede. Uh, faceplate that has like a little Mario and the bullet and the ghost and stuff on it. Um, it's it's perfection to me. It is the best handheld to date. I love it. It's white. It has a matte finish. It has the coloured face buttons. Um, yeah, super I'm holding it right now, looking buttons, at it. Yeah. Like I'm, ca- I'm caressing it as we speak. As we speak. <laughs> um, I'm 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 peering at mine from a distance. <laughs> right, long lovingly teasing at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think the beginning of my my love affair with 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 handhelds began with yeah Tetris on the Game Boy because it was like uh, yeah it was unique and awesome and special and that same vibe is carried through all of Nintendo's handhelds. Uh, thankfully, still to today. Um, and that's a, um, a unique quality, which I really, really, it just works for me. I love it. I really like handhelds more so than, than home consoles. Fantastic. Well, that's a great start to the episode. So we're going to move on to your next game now, which is sticking with Nintendo, which is going to be a constant theme throughout this episode. <laughs> um, very different game, very different game. So let's listen to some wonderful music and dive straight in. So before we move on to your next game, Jules, we have the section of the show where you get to choose the deserted virtual place that you are stuck in. Mm. So this sort of spawned out a few episodes ago where I had Andy Kelly from PC Gamer choose a place where he could be stuck in. And surprisingly enough, he chose the Nostromo, the, <laughs> the, the abandoned spaceship from Alien Isolation. 
<laughs> not the not my number one choice wouldn't be mine. Someone who who likes adventure, apparently. Yes. So, and we had um, Mr. Matt Lee's from Cool Ghosts um, last week, who chose the world of Pokemon. So Kanto, mm. um, that very wonderful, nostalgia filling, very safe, naive world that was Pokemon. Um, is there anything that immediately sticks in your head? Somewhere you would love to be stuck or? A place in gaming where you're like, do you know what? Yeah. Being deserted yeah, wouldn't be so bad. There's definitely two um, that that might that definitely give away two games that are on my list. Okay. Um, shall, I, shall I mention both of them now? Ooh. Or just one? Just one. It's tricky. Just one. Just one. Let's not have too many spoilers. Okay. Um, all right, just one then. So the one I would probably lean towards anyway would be the world of um, Animal Crossing. Okay. Yeah. So just any specific animal, animal Crossing, obviously probably, they're all... Probably New Leaf. I mean, probably the 3DS one. So you could at least it's... be... Well, there's no one going to be there. So it's just going to be you banging right. on trees, fishing, Pretty much. Shaking trees. Fossils. Yeah. And listening. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just, it's, you know, it's just so mellow, so nice and pleasant. As long uh, as you could hear the music while living there at the oh, same time, sure. that would yeah, be... Yeah, you have to be able to do that. Yes. It's just a nice, uh, tranquil vibe where you can you know relax it's a good retirement place you know <laughs> <laughs> it does feel like a retirement place it does very much like a home for old yeah. animals <laughs> exactly I mean, and maybe that's a reflection of myself maybe i'm an old animal now maybe that's what it is you run a company called renegade kid you can't be that old <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so the world of animal crossing specifically yep. new leaf is where you are yep. trapped for the purposes of today's episode okay you cannot leave no trains go there anymore. What oh, for the purpose of this episode? What is the name of your town in New Leaf? Mm. You know what? That's a good question. I think it's probably called Julesville. Julesville. Okay, because <laughs> yes. so- <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. I'm like, I don't know, Julesville. So, Jules, you are trapped in Julesville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very imaginative. Yeah. Fantastic. So. This is where you are stuck today. And the next right. game you're going to have with you in your lovely little apartment that you stole from Tom Nook, because he's not there anymore, is The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker HD. Developed by Nintendo's top team, the Nintendo EAD team, and directed by series director Eiji Aonuma, with both Tezuka and Miyamoto working as producers, it originally released in December 13th, 2002 in Japan, with a European release coming later the next year in May. The first Zelda game to appear on the GameCube, and it featured the incredibly beautiful and distinct cel-shaded art style that was quite controversial at the time. It received two direct sequels, both for the Nintendo DS, the Phantom Hourglass, and Spirit Tracks. In 2013, it received a Wii U remaster uh, that brought it to life in HD, and it looked beautiful. And that is the version you're choosing today. Jules, why Wind Waker HD is on your list? And actually, that was my other location to be stranded in. Um, Okay. That and Animal Crossing. Yeah, that was my other choice. Um, Specifically, the starting island. Um, I always forget the name. Uh, yeah, well, and just the idea that you can get on the boat, you know, and, and cruise around. And it's just such a wonderful universe, you know. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I, I you know, obviously I love the, the Super Nintendo Zelda. I love the Game Boy uh, Zelda. Um, but the, yeah, Wind Waker, I don't know. It's just... Uh, the art style, the the vibe, the 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 characters is such an awesome um, adventure, um, and I just remember just being glued to that game when it came out on the GameCube, 
uh, and played through it, you know, uh, until I was done with it, you know, it was just, and the ending, uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but the ending is quite grand. You know, there's not just, oh, there's a boss, kill it, done. It, you know, it's got quite, um, I guess, multiple stages to it kind of thing. Yes. You, do go, through, you go through certain sets and each in through those certain sets, there are uh, moments of dialogue between, yeah, well, not it's, between it's, Link, because Link doesn't talk, but quite specifically epic, Ganondorf. Yeah. Everyone knows Ganondorf's the final boss, so <laughs> right, true. Um, and it just—it was—it just, was just great. It was just a wonderful experience, and I think they pulled off, you know, Link. Uh, well, obviously, it was—you know—they already had a 3D one on the uh, on the N64, but but this was different, though. It was more fluid. It was just a very different feeling, um, and I loved the art style. I thought it was a wonderful choice. Uh, it looked amazing, um, and I chose the HD one because it looks even more amazing. <laughs> yes, it looks now. absolutely beautiful. Um, and also, beautiful. it's yeah. had a little rejigging in terms of the Triforce quest, and mm-hmm. it's yeah. a little bit more simpler than it used to be, <laughs> yeah. which considering how arduous that quest could be, I know yeah. lots of people don't mind it, but it could be quite arduous. That's, that was um, a good change. Yeah, so th- and I put that on the list because it's a good game um, to kind of get lost in. Um, it's a wonderful universe. It, you know, has a, it has a good feeling um, and obviously a, you know, a great sense of adventure. Um, so that that just felt like you know, of all of the Zeldas, um, you know, if if someone asked me what's your favorite Zelda, it might be Wind Waker. But for me, I approach this of like I'm stuck on an island. I have eight games the rest of my life. Therefore, <laughs> they yeah. have to last me, you know, for the rest of my life. So like, so that's why I chose Wind Waker because it just has a lot of that feeling of I can just kind of get lost in it and travel around and enjoy it. But also go on an adventure as well, which is good. So I imagine, so in my head now, and I imagine some listeners as well, is just you in your Animal Crossing house, very colorful, very <laughs> Nintendo, playing a very colorful, very Nintendo game. Yeah, just very, being very surrounded similar. by this warm, fuzzy Nintendo Exactly. Yeah, two of them have a similar vibe. You know, lots of... Both of them are, um, yeah. are, like, artistically, definitely must have had some crossover. Maybe because... Animal Crossing came out for the Nintendo 64 in Japan and then came out later for the GameCube in the West. Um, And they were around about the same time. I don't know whether there was actually any direct influence over each other. Probably wasn't. They were two different teams. But the art, because the big eyes, the round face, both, like any villager you start out with in Animal Crossing has a very similar Mm -hmm. face to Link does. True. Yeah, I wonder what the similar, yeah, I wonder if there are different, I wonder if there are similar uh, team members on those projects. It'd be interesting to find out. Because you were in America at the time, I don't know by any chance, were you going to shows like E3, uh, like trade shows around that time when there was a a change from the Nintendo 64 to the GameCube? and yeah seeing Wind Waker for the first time being like, oh, wow, <laughs> the games can look that good? <laughs> yeah, no, I remember. and it, Yeah, and it was, it's so impressive. Not only one of the first cel-shaded games, yeah. um, but Nintendo just did, did it so well, um, as they usually do. You know, not only do they just pioneer it, but they think through it really deeply and make very... Um, smart decisions on how they're going to do it which makes it very that sets the bar very high and makes it very difficult for people who are following that may think it was deceptively simple because it was the first one but then when they start to emulate it or better it they find that oh wow <laughs> they did a really good job the first time <laughs> that's amazing um like mario 64 <laughs> is a great example of that um where you know you, you look back at it thinking oh well it was the first you know proper kind of 3d platformer in 64 whatever but you look at it and you analyze it and the player package is incredible yeah. Um, it's better than, I mean, I would argue that it's better than any other third party 
3D platformer uh, player package, period. Um, you know, I think Nintendo may have improved, changed, whatever, you know, with their subsequent 3D Mario games. But um, I don't think anyone else has really come close to that. It just felt so fluid. And being and for their, being their first 3D platformer, it's like, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it really shows how brilliant they are. Um uh, at, at game design and feeling and, and how they think about it. They don't shortcut it. They do what's right. And uh, it really shows, you know? Yeah. It's one of those things It's it's almost cliche now and very worn out. Nintendo's consistency is unrivaled. It's, yeah. it's funny now because we've obviously just had Star Fox Zero that got released yesterday. Um, People are sort of bad. Some people love the controls. Obviously, Miyamoto has had his little experiment going, and this is something that's come from his mind. But the consistency shows because there are still people like, yep, this is Nintendo being good at what they do and like taking something that is innovative and not what we're used to, but making it accessible at the same time. They just Mm -hmm. have this brilliant consistency that started way back, obviously, in the NES days. Till now, just non-stop consistency with yeah. every title. It's amazing. I mean, they're, and they're big idols for me as far as, you know, when it comes to design, they're definitely my biggest inspiration. You know, what, yeah. you know, it's good. What, what would Nintendo do? So, <laughs> how do they, how do they do things? So at what point really was it that you sort of switched? Because obviously you got your job out of the back of being a fan of the Amiga, having an Amiga magazine. But at mm-hmm. what point was it that you were like, oh, Nintendo just... The, the NES, the Super Nintendo, and the Game Boy, just this company, they're they are my inspiration. What, because you were playing the Amiga a lot. Yeah. What happened with the Nintendo? How did you get a Nintendo? Um, I didn't really have an NES growing up. Like, what my friend did, um, he actually had, I think, a US import. His dad would visit the States quite often and bring games back. So that was really my only experience. Um, and that was fun, you know, um, but I didn't get to play it much. It was actually really only when I was working at the one, um, but on the top floor, there was a magazine called Mean Machines and they would cover consoles. Um, so I'd go up there quite often and see these fun toys they had up there. And um, I was just, it was completely foreign and awesome to me. I mean, I remember seeing... Uh, Super Mario World for the first time as a Japanese import on their SNES or Famicom, Super Famicom. Yeah. Um, and I was like, it was incredible. It was just, it was so unique and different uh, to anything I'd ever seen. Um, and it sounded different, played different, looked different. It was like, wow, that's so cool. Um, so I think it kind of probably started then, you know, seeing stuff like that. It was just so unique. You know, they had Neo Geos, they had. You know, uh, those very, very expensive Neo yes, Geos. <laughs> the big stand up and everything, and everything. So I got to see Beautiful all those console, things. But... Oh, yeah. Like Last Resort. I still have a, you know, just love that. Just so was it like music. a, was it sort of like a moment where you were like, what is this? Because obviously Amiga was a, a gaming PC essentially. And right. probably at that point quite dated because it'd been around yes. for maybe 10 years by that point. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was getting towards And then the obviously we saw, because yeah. the Nintendo, the NES, the original Nintendo Entertainment System had already been out for a long time as well. And now mm-hmm. we were moving into the the next generation, the Super Nintendo. Was it a right. moment where you're like, I have to go buy this now? Like, this yeah, is where it, gaming is going. Yeah, I, 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 exactly. It was just, I need more of that. You know, it's like, that is just so unique. And then obviously you look at, you know, Legend of Zelda and games like that, they have such a unique Super Nintendo vibe. 
in their graphics, the way they sound, the way they control. Yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was great. You know, and to me, it was a really good example for me to witness and, and see and, and enjoy compared to what I'd grown up with, you know, from the Spectrum to the Amiga, yeah. where all of those games, even though some of them are brilliant and some of my, I mean, like the Bitmap Brothers were a huge inspiration to me as well. Uh, they did some amazing games like Zenon 2 and uh, Gods and, and Speedball 2 and so on. Um, they were a big inspiration to me as well. But um, but when you compare those games to the Nintendo games, I mean, wow, the Nintendo games blow them out of the water as far as the gameplay and the execution of, of the game. It's like, wow, this is on a different level. You know, and I still have huge respect for what was done on the other computers, but yeah. the console, the Nintendo console games were like, wow, this is a completely different league uh, of, of game development. You know, this is, I can see the difference. <laughs> this is like completely different. Um, and it, 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 yeah, it was something that to me seemed something to aspire to that yeah. was honestly, I just didn't think that, it, you know, to be able to actually achieve something of that level, I didn't really ever imagine that that would be possible, but, um, certainly something worth shooting for anyway. Fantastic. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now, which is the only game on this list that hasn't been on a Nintendo platform. Every other game on this list, spoilers, has featured on a Nintendo platform at some point of its existence. So we're going to move on to your next game, which really isn't even a game. (laughs) So if I can find some music, let's listen to it right now. quote unquote game on your list <laughs> today Jules is uh shoot 'em up construction kit yeah. also known as Sayuk according Sayuk. to the internet yeah uh-huh. Sayuk. Sayuk, yeah a game yep. creation kit that was developed for the Amiga the Commodore 64 and the Atari ST by right. Sensible Software yeah the guys for who made Sensible Soccer and a lot of the Sensible Software games and it was originally released in 1987 mm-hmm. so I'm imagining this is where it all started. Yeah, I mean, I could make games, you know? This allowed people to make games at home, which was, I mean, admittedly, fairly awful games, but um, <laughs> and very limited. But you could actually get in there, you can make your own sprites, make you know your own characters, make your own backgrounds, set the scroll speed, scroll direction, uh, how many hit points things have, what is the bullet, you know? That sounds, Just, quite, that sounds quite extensive. For... It, it is. I mean, it... it, it it is. I mean, yeah, you could do quite a few things. Um, more than most, like, game makers, quote-unquote, allow you to do today. Like Mario Maker, 
is very shallow in comparison. Yeah. But Mario, but Mario Maker is amazing. Not taking anything away from it. But all you can do is play with Mario stuff. You know, this That's allowed true. you to create the game. Um, I mean, admittedly, fairly awful games, but, but you could get in there <laughs> and you could do, you could do that. Um, but it, that sense of and, and you know, originally on the on the um, I guess the Commodore 64, you have to use the joystick to actually move the cursor to kind of paint. So that was fairly painful. But on the Amiga and the ST, you could use the mouse, so that was a lot more nicer. But yeah, it was just it was it was great. So again, like this was this this would be good to bring to the um, the the Animal Crossing Desert Island. Um, because then, you know, even again, I'll say it for the third time, admittedly awful games I can make, but I could make them in this. So um, you would rather take fun. this <laughs> over something like Unity or Game Maker, for example? Yeah, I mean, because I still have a huge love for pixel stuff, you know? Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Game Maker would probably, would certainly <laughs> uh, offer more <laughs> flexibility. But I think for that nostalgic feeling of, yeah. you know, I know I'm not really making a game. I'm just kind of just kicking around with some of the ingredients and just changing the flavor now and then. It's not really taking it seriously, but it'd be a fun toy creation kind of um, avenue to kind of play around with. Yeah. So it kind of, it fills a few, a few kind of, you know, needs as far as nostalgia and kind of being able to kind of have a little kind of doodle in a sketch pad kind of thing. Yeah. Where you Fantastic. Yeah. So please walk me through the the game making process on Seok. What did you start with and what could you manipulate to get to the final game? Could you actually make a whole game or was it more like a Mario um, Maker type thing where you could only make like a level, for example? I think, I mean, I'm trying to remember now, I think you could make multiple levels and kind of... Um, like string them um, together yeah or something. exactly string them together you know and you could set the rules whether they would scroll at all or i think it would only i'm trying to remember if it would scroll left and right and up and down it might only scroll up and down i can't remember now um and uh obviously you could draw all of the graphics so all of the artwork you can create yourself um so you could be a cowboy walking along you know the desert kind of shooting things or you could be a spaceship you know you know did, shooting did it have pre-made assets as well it just did in case yes okay. absolutely yeah it did um, you could even generate your own sound effects. Um, so whether it be moving sliders to do, you know, the typical kind of chip kind of sounds okay. or even actually record yourself. Uh, so you could have samples, you know, oh, really? uh, in there as well that you could play. So you could do that. I don't think you could do the music. I don't think you could, but you can do sound effects. Um, you can set the enemy, set the player. Um, you know, the player could move in all directions. You could have different animations based on the direction that they're facing. Uh, the way you would put enemies in there is you'd actually have to draw the enemy attack pattern by using the joystick. So you'd be like, <laughs> all right, I'm now record. I'm about to do the enemy pattern. So you do this nasty, jagged, you know, kind of enemy pattern of this, <laughs> this thing flying across the screen and then flying off again. So you, you had to literally it. draw like the nav <laughs> literally. Just yes. all over the place. It was awful. Um, <laughs> and do your own explosions and stuff. So it's just, it's, like I say, it's just a really fun, very quirky uh, thing to play with. But yeah, you could, you could edit. You could really, the nice thing is you could make it any, any setting you wanted to, just based on the artwork and the sound effects and just the small things that you could manipulate. You could really create quite quite a variety of, of different things. I think people still today are even using this thing and even have mini competitions. Do you like still own it? No, I don't. Okay. Um, but no, no, I don't have my Amiga or anything anymore. But oh. I think people are still doing it today, amazingly. 
Um, yeah. do, do you remember some of the projects you made on it? Can you give me? Can you give me the selling points of the games you made if you were pitching these <laughs> games to a, a company I, right now? I don't think I made anything worthwhile. Honestly, <laughs> I don't think I finished anything. I definitely dabbled a lot, and I, I think for me it was just great exposure to some of what. I assumed were some of the inner workings of what we was involved in making a game. As far as, you know, a sprite, for example, you know, is 16 pixels wide, 16 pixels high. My palette was 16 colors, but the first color was color zero. So it's kind of the background see-through color. And I can change those colors. But if I change the colors, it's going to change what the colors were used in the sprite. So they're, they're baked in. So I'm like, oh, okay. So it kind of exposes you to some of the the workings of the computer at the time. So that was really neat. Yeah, it was nice to see, okay, this is kind of how it works. Interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, machines don't really work that way now, but in a way they kind of do some similarities, but uh, it was, it was really great at the time. Um, And a lot of that actually carried over to the Super Nintendo and Genesis and, and those machines as well, as far as how they kind of work on a basic kind of level. Uh, As far as, you know, you have, it's very efficient. You have this many sprites, this many background tiles, that's all you've got, you know, do the best you can. Um, So that's a nice lesson in, in efficiency, which is very important as well. So obviously, Sayok is kind of where you started and you were developing games for the Amiga. Well, you were developing these games within this tool engine for the Amiga. What was the actual first console that you started developing on? What did you get to grips with? when you started your career in game development obviously you you are not a coder you don't code but right. i am not you've worked with engines for art and animation and right. that kind of thing what was the first console that you did get used to developing for um the first platform actually that i professionally made stuff for was the nes was the nintendo entertainment system i did some artwork for a game at um uh, the sales curve um, uh, called Rodland, uh, which is it's, it's it's known quite well in Europe. It's not known very well anywhere else. It was a Jellico uh, arcade game called Rodland, um, and kind of you know kind of those typical kind of arcade kind of puzzle platform type games where it was all single screen, kind of like Bubble Bubble in a way, um, but the artwork was much richer and really cool looking. And yeah. you, had, you had two players and you'd have the little one, you could grab things and smash them back and forth and you'd get pickups and stuff. You have to collect all the things on the screen. And go it had the like, it, from what I remember, it had like a really vibrant trees in the background. But, yes, it, very colorful, really yeah. neat. Yeah, very kind of fairyland kind of mushrooms that kind of kind of vibe uh, and i think you were two fairy kind of sisters yeah, they were right? like anime anime cheesy yeah anime style yeah, yeah totally big hair yeah. and stuff it was really well game. done but uh yeah but we were working on the nes version uh so i just did some artwork for that it was the first thing i worked on so um yeah so my awful uh, amiga training uh, had trained me quite well to jump into that and make something that didn't look completely <laughs> awful um, so that was that was that was a good start then we moved on to the super nintendo after that immediately after that Fantastic. Well, we're going to move on to your next game and we're getting back on the Nintendo track. We're going to move on and listen to some music now.
The next game on your list today, Jules, is a racing game. It was developed by Nintendo's EAD Group 1 and was released on the 1st of December 2011 for the Nintendo 3DS. Featured many first, uh, many series first, like the hand gliding styles, the ability to drive underwater, and a first-person mode. The ability to also choose your parts for the cart you were racing in was also added. It's the second highest selling 3DS title of all time, only just behind Pokemon X and Y, and it sold over 12 million copies worldwide, and it averaged really well on Metacritic and across most critical publications. It's Mario Kart 7. Yes. Yeah, uh, see... I had I had a slot in here which had to be a racing game. So this is this is the, the racing game that I chose to fill that that need while I'm stuck on this Animal Crossing island. Um, and I, you know I I love the DS Mario Kart. That was my favorite for a long time because it's so solid and so well done. Yeah. Um, and they kind of tended to get a bit gimmicky on some of the other like the N64 and the GameCube and those versions were a bit gimmicky in a way. Um, so I wasn't a huge fan of those as much. Okay. Um, and and Mario Kart Seven. Um, is it's incredibly uh, more improved over the DS one in almost every way, which is interesting. In some ways, though, the DS version is is I still prefer in some aspects, but all in all, Mario Kart Seven because it's so slick and so well done. It feels so smooth. It runs so smooth. It looks gorgeous. Um, you know, the multiplayer online community is actually pretty darn good, um, and. Uh, yeah, and it's not too gimmicky, you know? It's it's a good, solid, nuts and bolts kind of racer. So it's down to you and your ability to get through the tracks. Um, and that's what I loved about the DS one. There's no gimmicks. You just race. Um, so, you know, obviously Mario Kart 8 on the uh, Wii U is awesome. But, yes. you know. It, one of the it, most it, beautiful games I oh think I've gosh. ever seen. It's so, so beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. But, again, my love of the 3DS you know, if there's a if there's a 3DS version, that's going to win the console version over that one typically. Um, you know, so if 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 Wind Waker was on the 3DS, that would have been the version that would have chosen. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, so Mario Kart Seven um, it won out in the end. So uh, Mario Kart Seven is actually. I am a big fan of Mario Kart. I absolutely adore that series. But Mario Kart 7 is the one... I've spoken about this on a previous episode with uh, Simon Miller from Video Gamer, who also chose Mario Kart 7. Ah, nice. Mario Kart 7 is the Obviously one... Obviously that- a very smart guy. I need to meet this guy. <laughs> Mario Kart 7 <laughs> is one of the only Mario Kart games that I have not really played. I I didn't buy it, which right. was a surprise. Um, I, I was a poor university student at the time, so I think that right. was the reason. Otherwise, I definitely would have. Fair enough. Um, and then I borrowed it from a friend, and it was it, eight wasn't out at the time. It, this right. was before eight. Um, uh-huh. <clears throat> I and really liked it. DS. Yes, I loved the DS. I yeah. loved the Mario Kart DS. I yeah, played awesome. that nonstop in college. I really, really enjoyed that. But then when I went to university, I played Mario Kart Wii, and Wii is almost like oh, the yeah. weakest one for everyone. Yeah, but the amount really of hours down. I sank yeah. into the Wii version, I loved the courses, I loved the drifting, I loved everything about the yeah. Wii version, yeah, and I fun. played so much of the Wii version that when yeah. I went to play 7, all of the changes felt very alien to me. Mm-hmm. Very, very alien. I almost couldn't get used to them immediately, so I was kind of yeah. like, nah, I can't I can't do this. And because I was yeah. only borrowing the game, Right. I never really got to get to grips anyway. Yeah, it was kind of yeah. temporary. So seven is the one that I've really right. had the least hands-on time with. Um, 
But then Mario Kart 8 follows a lot from 7. It takes so much mm-hmm. from 7 in terms of like modifying, hang gliding, yeah. underwater. And I think 8's amazing. It's the pinnacle of the Mario Kart series. And it's superb. And I guess this all stems from 7. So I should have played more of 7, I think. <laughs> but now you're never better. <laughs> well, there's no point right? now. Yeah, yeah. 8 is amazing, definitely. It looks gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. But... uh but yeah, like I say, 3DS is always going to trump it for me. It's just, you know, it's just, I don't know. I like, I like the portability of being able to be, whether I'm under a palm tree or on a rock somewhere on my island, I can just uh, curl up with my 3DS and not have to worry about anything else, you know. Are, are you good at Mario Kart? Do you take on all the other guys at Renegade Kid and you're like, come on, this is it. This, it's Mario you know Kart hour well, now. We all work from home, so we don't really have like an office kind of set up. So we don't really have that that environment that would be okay. great for that but i do remember uh, when i worked at iguana we absolutely did this with uh mario kart on the super nintendo we would have parties at our house or our apartment or whatever everyone from work would get together and play that and i have very fond memories of that playing the super nintendo mario kart um it was on all the time i mean yeah. even if even if we weren't playing it the title screen music would be playing in the background while we yeah it's just awesome you know <laughs> it was so good so that and that actually recently came out on uh 3ds virtual console which is fantastic um if you didn't know that Yes, uh, I did. Really cool. I did. Yeah, um, I'm a very, so I'm a high proponent of the Virtual Console. I think it's one cool. of the best things yeah, yeah. in the Nintendo console. Especially recently, this this next one's coming out. Really, really cool. Yes. Um. So, uh, yeah. So I might, I might sneak that on my 3ds before I go to this desert island. <laughs> it's funny actually because you <laughs> i started out the show and i had a whole bunch of rules and i was like well they can't do this they can't have the internet they can't have all these di- right. all these things in case they get rescued or that kind of thing but as the show's gone on more and more people are finding more and more loopholes and i'm like bugger uh, we had the internet one so the, now there's the rule about the internet you can have the internet as long as it's only to play that game and not to chat right. to anyone um, and now I've not even thought about digital downloads. So you could have that 3DS <laughs> and you could have secretly, right. didn't even know it was there. You could have had a folder <laughs> called settings and in that yep. folder called settings were a hundred virtual console exactly. games. <laughs> oh, I'm going to yeah. have to, I'm going to have to be doing some vigorous checks before you head off to that Animal Crossing time right. to Julesville. Right. Make sure there's only eight games. Yep. <laughs> Well, that's superb. So we're going to move on to your next game, which right. we've already spoken about. It's where you're stranded. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So let's listen to some music and go some straight into it. music, I imagine. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, the next game has appeared on the show quite a few times, listeners will know. So I always love putting music from this game in. Yep. So let's take a listen. Thank you. 
Okay, Jules. So just before we move on to what everyone knows we're going to talk about, <laughs> um, we have the question of the week, which is a question from the listeners of the show, which is deserted island theme as well as gaming themed. So this week's uh, question comes from uh, show listener Rob Birchnell, who has uh, had a question on the show before as well, actually. So um, his question this week is, if on the island you find a capsule sent from the future, inside is a yet unmade or remake or reboot of a classic game, which game would you want? So obviously now we have lots and lots of HD remasters. We had the Wind Waker one. We have reboots all the time now. Uh, we've recently just had the Ratchet and Clank one which is a reboot of the original PlayStation 2 game. Mm-hmm. If you find a capsule from the future with a reboot from a game that you like, which one would you want it to be? Interesting. Uh, there's obviously a ton that come to mind. Uh, is there, are there rules to this? Like reboot. So it could be a new game, but it's in it's a continuation of a classic. Well, it could right? be a remaster or a reboot or, or a remake. Because oh, okay. remaster means okay. like HD. Yeah, it's like the same game, but it's enhanced. Yeah. So oh, Okay. Okay. Or you could have a complete reboot. Right. Like we had with XCOM, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky, tricky. Um, Okay. Well, the games that come to mind, I have three games that immediately came to mind. Am I allowed to mention them all three? Yes, but you can only choose one. Fair enough. So (laughs) so I'll mention the three, then I'll agonizingly choose one again. (laughs) So um, uh, Demon's Crest. Okay. Came to mind because yes. that is a very underrated game, exceptionally game, but didn't sell very well apparently, which is shocking to me. Wonderful game um, on the Super Nintendo by yes. um, uh, Capcom or Konami. Uh, it's just, Capcom. It is Capcom. Yes. Yeah, it's a um, Firebrand's game. Yes, it's uh, the sequel to Gargoyles Quest, which is just, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, yeah it's from the uh, Ghosts and Goblins series. Yeah, exactly that guy. And segue, the next one would be Ghosts and Goblins uh, or Ghouls and Ghosts, one of those two. That also, I'd love to see that. A new version of that somehow would be really, really exciting. Well, we recently received... Wonderful vibe. I I say recently received. We did receive like a PSP update a few years ago, if I'm remembering correctly. Really? Interesting. Yes, there was a... I think it was uh, like an updated one with (laughs) better sprite work and that kind of thing, but... I don't think it was like a, a complete remake. It was called Ultimate right. uh, Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins, and it was for the Interesting. PSP. I should probably track that down and yeah, see. Yeah, you definitely should. What that's about. Um, and uh, the other one, well, I have so many. But anyway, the, another one would, which would be interesting to kind of see would be Wonder Boy. I always had a soft spot for Wonder Boy because um, it's such a strange, simple game, but it just the visual style at the time was so unique. It's this little blonde beach kid you know running <laughs> along this super sega colorful world on a skateboard stuff it was just such a weird fun um vibe um i don't know what you could do with it i have no ideas but it would be really interesting to see someone do like a super wonder boy and just really crank it up and keep it the same charm but do crazy awesome um you know crank up to 11 kind of stuff with it would be really fun. All right, so I have to choose one. I'm going to go with Demon's Crest because it's really it needs its time in the spotlight. So I'm going to go with Demon's Crest. Okay, so Demon Crest, you, would you like it to be like updated 2D sprite work or more? Uh, so you've got like the Shovel Knight type sprite work, the mm-hmm. really new sprite work, or you could have something like Mighty Number no. Nine, which is like 3D, 2D. Definitely not that. Okay. De- so more not, sprite definitely more sprite work i'm a huge uh, a huge <laughs> appreciation for the sprite work so i think i would just like to see uh current day pixel artists do their take 
on that game. That's like, a very for example, interesting example. WayForward did an exceptional job with their Contra game on the DS. Uh, their sprite work and their backgrounds were incredible. Um, I mean, very different than the original kind of uh, Contra, like Contra 3 Alien Wars on the Super Nintendo, which yeah. is an incredible game, um, which would have probably made a top 10 list, for example, yeah, if I well, had, was um, able to do such a thing. The, um, the guys who made Shovel Knight worked on that game. so Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so I would like to see, like, the uh, um, that kind of treatment, you know, like, people who you know grew up with that who are fans of that yeah. are now very skilled at doing pixel art yeah. do their interpretation of it because then they'll always probably add a few more frames and a few more little flourishes here and there because they can but they very cleverly present it in a way that still feels very nostalgic and true but it, in fact it really isn't when you compare it you know side by side it's way more uh, enhanced and better yeah. but it still feels true and authentic and that that's that's awesome and hard to do um, but it feels very great difficult. when it's done right so, so did yeah. you play did you ever play the fighting game Marvel versus Capcom 3 perchance? Yes. Yeah, no, I did see uh Firebrand in that. He's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. His, I thought his character model was really, really cool in that game. Yeah, no, Very it's really amazing. Cool. Definitely. That would and that would be neat too. A game with that spray in it would be crazy, right? Well, it'd be a 3D model, wouldn't it? So it'd be oh, a right. 3D, Sorry, 2D. Yeah. Right. Yes. So but yeah, a, a, yeah, a spin-off like with that would be incredible too. <laughs> Two games for the price of one. Why not? There you go. I'll, I'll allow it because it's coming from the future anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah, they have time machines and stuff. Yeah, so. I'll allow yeah. it. I'll allow yeah. it. So we better move on to the next game, which right. is where you're deserted today. I you're am. already there. I'm already it's there. the game developed by Nintendo's EAD team and produced yep. by Katsuya Gucci, released in the West in June of 2014 for the 3DS. The player character is the mayor of a new city, in your case, Julesville, yes. and works to create the town a livable and nice place for new citizens to thrive and move in. I spent now, the reason- hours work on my on this game as well myself. Oh yeah, and awesome! It received such favorable reviews and is regarded as one of the best in the series. And it sold just under ten million copies. Oh my gosh! As an incredible amount of copies, Jules, Animal Crossing New Leaf. Um, it's funny because now that I'm actually stranded in that place, I don't know if I need the game anymore. You know, well, there's, the- in your in your case, there are, you'd be playing the game right. of the village, but the, the game would the game. have people in it. That's true. Whereas your world wouldn't. Yes, so I'd, I'd still need to play it. Um, yeah, because really, the reason I put it on the list is definitely again because of its vibe. You know, it's just it's a similar. Um, it's something where you can kind of relax and just kind of enjoy, and, and really not it just kick around. It's just when you have those moods for, and this doesn't happen often for me but when you have those moods where you don't mind you know doing something in the garden or something that's not attached to a keyboard which i am 90 percent of the time yeah. but when you want to do something that's a little slower paced um and just kind of you know you know shut down your brain maybe for a little bit and just do something <laughs> you know yeah more yeah. tactile Absolutely. and maybe more nature related that kind of game i think would be good for that where you can really just kind of just mosey around, just do some silly things. And it's not, you know, there's no challenge. There's nothing to, um, there's no boss to beat. There's nothing really to, nothing to do uh, apart from what you decide to do, which is nice. So yeah, it's a, that, that, fit, that fit filled a, a need. I it's think, a strange game because yeah. essentially there's nothing to gain either. Yeah, yeah you get no, your house, yeah. you build up your house and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's just an environment for you to live in for a while yeah. and just be a part of this virtual community and yeah. I think that's what's so special about the Animal Crossing series. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, really, for me, this whole list was more about variety to kind of like, depending on the mood you are in that 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 day, um, do you have a game that will kind of help that, you know? So yeah, this was a good fit for that. Would it be strange um, being in your little Animal Crossing house and then playing the game, stepping outside and being like, this is weird. <laughs> this is, I just played this and now I'm in it. Hmm. That would be weird. <laughs> yeah. Where, where the actual game has more life in it than your actual life. That would be a bit strange. Also, you could move things in the game that would be completely and utterly static in the Animal True. Crossing world for you. Yeah. The real world would, would, would feel quite inferior to the game. It, it'd be quite funny, be, actually, because you'd yeah. be like, oh, I've, got, I've got to go fishing. I've got to go get yeah. something to eat. I've yeah. got to weed the garden. Right. I've got to go dig up some fossils. Yeah. Oh, I just want to go home and play Animal Crossing right. <laughs> do exactly. the, and do the same thing in, in the game that you were doing right. to survive. And like, it, like you're saying with the music, it's just such an amazing soundtrack. Like often when I'm working, I'll, I'll put on, especially the New Leaf soundtrack, Yeah, um, just in the background. It's just so mellow. Um and awesome. And it's funny. Spoke, I've, I've, just, before you, very... just before you move on from that, I've spoken about this before on the podcast. Have, do you have the awesome Chrome plugin that just plays Animal Crossing? Music? Yes, I do. Good. Yeah, how good, cool good. is that? Yes. Super. Crazy, right? Yeah. I know. Ridiculous. Um, and it's, it's funny because a lot of the tunes are eerily familiar to classic popular tunes. And if I, I guess I'm sure someone has spent some time figuring out what those inspirations are. But, you know, like some of them are like, you know, what's that song? Like a kiss is just a kiss, da, 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 whatever that song is. But there's a tune in, <laughs> in, in uh, New Leaf that are just like that, but it's not. But all these tunes have different vibes that are kind of some of them are very classic and some are very new. And it's, it's really neat. It's just really nice to kind of nice background, you know, stuff that doesn't really detract from if you're trying to focus on something. It's yeah. Uh, yeah it's oh, good I stuff. just thought about where that song is from, actually. It's... um. As time goes uh, by, Cla- Casablanca. It's from yes, exactly. That Play one. it again, Sam, or something, whatever it's called. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I can see in the Animal Crossing like soundtrack. The only for what kind of game it is, it's very uh, family friendly, but the mm-hmm. music's almost kind of weirdly experimental. Sometimes it it's very moody and very very strange, and it yeah, reminds me a lot of the Earthbound soundtrack. Not mm-hmm. as alien yeah. in its instruments that have been used yeah. essentially but very lots very of synth type pop yeah. and yeah it's very experimental and yeah when people think of nintendo music obviously nintendo are just the back catalog of nintendo music throughout the years is grand in scale there are so many obviously people think of just mario zelda and all that kind of thing but animal crossing does have such wonderful music yeah it does it's amazing it's very inspired it's just like the musicians really were just let, you know, to do whatever they wanted almost. And that's what they came up with. It's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Nice. Very mellow. Well, it certainly helps yeah. when uh, your main, well, one of your main characters, your main citizens is a dog who plays guitar and is all themed around music. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that that definitely yep. helps allow you yes. to be a bit creative <laughs> with tone. making him stand yep. out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I actually the, have a yeah. KK Slater plushie on my desk oh, yeah. over there, staring back at me with his nice. little guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the boat trip over there when he's singing, you know, the crazy yes. songs when you're catching the boat over there. And stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's awesome! It's so weird. It's perfect. 
Fantastic. Well, we're going to move away from Animal Crossing because I think you, you've had enough Animal Crossing for today. <laughs> well, probably you're overdosing on Animal Crossing right now on my airplane, but it's okay. You're regretting your life choice, aren't you? <laughs> you're like, why, why did I choose to be here? I could, I could, have, I could have been a wind waker. could have been sailing the ocean. I know. I, know. I could have been sailing right now. Beasts with my thing. To be fair, in Animal Crossing, you can ride in a boat as well, so I'll allow you to do that. As long as you don't try and okay. get home... We can't have you right. getting home. You have to be there. Escaping. You have to stay right. there. Yep. <laughs> so we're going to move on to another Nintendo game, but from a series that is huge, massive, huge series, but not the game you would expect. So we're going to listen to some music, and then Jules, you can tell me all about this. game on your list Jules is a Pokemon game mm. it's developed by Chunsoft not Nintendo or the Pokemon company but it was published by both of them it's the fifth entry in the extremely popular Mystery Dungeon spin-off series it was released in North America on October 12 2009 a year after its sister titles Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Time and Explorer of Darknesses was released it received mediocre reviews from most major outlets but it's Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Sky. <laughs> Jules, you chose a Pokemon game that isn't a Pokemon game. Indeed, I did. And, you know, it definitely shows my naivete to the whole Mystery Dungeon, you know, genre. Because I'm not very familiar with it. And I'm sure this is quite a strange game within that genre. And I'm sure there are probably far better ones that I'm sure everyone can tell me about. But um, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I came across this game um, and uh, it was very unique to me. I hadn't played a game like that. You know, it looked kind of like Zelda when you look at the screenshots and but it plays really quite differently. Um, obviously, there's the randomized uh, dungeons when you go in there with different floors. Um, you're usually on a quest to go to a certain floor and get to a certain person to do a certain thing. Yep. Usually a fetch quest or whatever. Or it's a very someone. traditional type Japanese dungeon yeah. crawler. Um, and then... Um, but I think the thing that really hooked me on it, and that this, and I, I chose this one, this version specifically... Um, because this, the story and the characters are so charming and the pixel art is so charming. Um, you know, each morning you wake up in your little hay bed, the little sergeant comes in and does that, whip, whip, you know, every morning wakes both <laughs> of you up and then you go out and everyone, you know, has their little meeting out there with the main dude and then you start your day. And I love that vibe, that feeling of there's a day cycle and that sense of routine yeah. Um, but then you're going off on adventure, which is then the complete opposite of routine. It's complete chaos. You have no idea what's going to happen. It's a wonderful combination of the two. And I like how 
you know, the quests, um, you can choose what quest you want to do. Some are easy, some are hard. And each, you know, you progress across the land, uh, as you, as you go through it. Um, and the strategy involved in what items you take to whether you'll survive or not. Um, and, uh, the pic, like I say, the pixel art, I love. I and mean, the pixel animations and the environments are just really well done. I really, really appreciate that. The music, the sound effects, the characters, the story, the vibe, everything comes together so well. Um, you know, I tried to get into the 3DS version, uh, whatever that was called, the most recent one that came out, which again is a beautiful game, essentially the same, I suppose. Uh, I'm not sure if it's... What's it called? Um, um, I'm not sure if it's the one I'm thinking of, but in Japan, there recently was a brand new one. That was yeah, recently. it came it's called, out... like Super Mystery Dungeon yes, or something that like one. that. Yes, that one, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I got that one. It's good. Um, but I guess I realized... I... I, I just love the unique aspects of Explorers of Sky. And I, I think time maybe another one has maybe a similar kind of thing where you wake up in that room every day and go into the area. I'm not sure if it's the same yeah. on those ones or not. Um, but I like that aspect and I like the pixel art. And that's something that I really appreciate with, well, a lot of games, but especially that game. So then obviously the new one on the 3DS is fully 3D and it's beautiful. It's really well done. But I missed that pixel art in that experience. So to me, it kind of, it, it didn't have the same qualities that I really appreciated. So I'm like, ah, that's a bummer. So I kind of went back, actually, and started playing Explorers of Sky again. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I was like, it's the music. It's everything about it. It's just so charming. Um, and you really feel like you're discovering yourself, your character, obviously, because you wake up and you were a human and now you're a Pokemon. You're like, what the heck is going on? There's people are helping you, but there's some people who don't like you and try and mess you up. And it's you fumbling your way through this new world. Um, it's just so, so neat, you know, it's such a neat story. Um, so, um, yeah, anyway, so it, it, it filled a good, a kind of a good place on my list of, uh, of an adventure to get into where you can chip away at it and just kind of take your time, um, you know, do a, a quest, save it and then come back to it later, you know, and, and it's just, but it has that, that charm, you know, yeah. and that, that visual aesthetic that I really appreciate, which is why it has a lot of uh, value to me and why I wanted to bring it along. It almost didn't make the list, but it, it did in the end because of those, those reasons. I was going to say, uh, are you, were you a fan of the Pokemon series anyway? Is it? Is, uh, is it not really. I because mean, you I, must I, have had some, I don't know, calling towards Pokemon because it'd be very difficult to pick up a, a game with Pokemon on it and be like, I'm going to play this, even though it's yeah. different. I've always liked Pikachu. I always thought it was a really cool character. I've, okay. I've always liked him, her, it, whatever. Um, and I, and I, I, you know, I originally did have the um, Pokemon Yellow, you know, the Pikachu one for Game Boy Color yeah. or whatever, Game Boy, whatever yeah. it was. Game Boy, I guess, whatever. Um, it was Game Boy, I think, but it also was one of the first ones to actually look decent on the Game Boy Color. I think it was around that period where all the DX games were coming out. This wasn't DX, but it did look cool on the Game Boy Color, something like that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I've always liked that. So I just, I don't know, I don't know actually what made me even originally play uh, Mystery Dungeon. I have no idea, actually. I don't know what, <laughs> yeah, why I thought that would be interesting, but I just randomly did, and I, yeah, I just found it be, to be quite interesting. Um, but, uh, but no, I I I I pretty much I bought most of the Pokemon games. I haven't really stuck to them much. Um, they're not really quite my thing. Um, Who's your favorite Pokemon? That isn't Pikachu. Uh, ooh, tricky one. Um, <laughs> probably the green guy, whatever his name is. <laughs> there are many many green <laughs> guys. <laughs> is it, from the original lineup on one of them? Is it oh, Snively, Snively? Uh, Maybe I don't know. Snivy maybe. Snivy is, is one of the later later Pokemon. Oh, okay. I don't know then. I don't know. 
I'm not, and you know what? I'm sorry. No, I'm, I, was, I'm, I, in, I am sorry. I'm calling you out on the Pokemon knowledge you have, but yeah, no, I this don't is, have any. This is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I have. I have no Pokemon knowledge. I'm not a Pokemon aficionado in it any must, stretch of the imagination. That, that must mean that Explorers of Sky it must be a good, like a good game. Although, it, for someone who obviously <clears throat> isn't quite the fan of Pokemon aesthetics, um, to choose it for their out of all the games they could have potentially chosen for you know this deserted situation it must must be pretty good it, it makes me want to play it it's good for what it is and it's a very strange quirky little game it really is quite odd um and i and i think the reason it and it's quite awkward in a way as well like the whole mystery dungeon aspect period is very odd um it's a very strange system of games um and then uh and I, I think it's because of the story and the charm and the art they put on top of that. It's a really interesting combination. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a strange one. Is mystery is mystery dungeon explorers of sky one of the ones you can now get on the virtual console? No, no, it's not. Okay, unfortunately. I'm trying um, to think which you can get. Oh, I think it's Pokemon Ranger. The, <clears throat> there are more Pokemon spin-off games than I can't even think about. I know there's Rumble and whatever. There's all Ranger, yeah. yeah there's all kinds of stuff. But no, it's many. not. You just have to get DS cartridge. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably be able to get it pretty cheap. I kind of want to play it because I love Pokemon. <clears throat> I think Pokemon's very good. I think the Pokemon aesthetic is very good as well. Spin-off games, though, have always, apart from Pokemon Stadium or Pokemon Snap, which are the two main ones. Pokemon spin-offs have never really shone in in any limelight. It's almost like people who are fan fans of the series yeah. want to ignore them. Yeah, they're like they're it's, not it's Pokemon probably games. Not very Pokemon like, I imagine. I mean, it doesn't seem like it really leverages the fact that it's a Pokemon game really at all. Um, honestly, I mean, what, you know, Pikachu could have been replaced with anyone, and it would have still been a cool little game. I think it's just almost uh, for me the Pokemon aspect isn't a huge part of it. Um, just the I, game I itself and, yeah and just the charm and the way they've done it I mean I like Pikachu so that works but, um, <laughs> so do you know funnily cool. enough my favourite Pokemon is Pikachu's evolution Raichu ah cool interesting my, very nice since, ever since I was a child Raichu right. has always been my favourite Pokemon so right very, very cool. similar <laughs> yeah. so we're going to move on to your next game now which is the last official Nintendo game on the list and Nintendo developed and published game. So we're going to move on to your penultimate game and it's one of the greatest platformers ever made. So let's listen to some wonderful music, some exceptional music and dive straight into it. Thank you. 
Okay, Jules. So the second to last game on your list today is developed by, once again, Nintendo's EAD team and published by Nintendo themselves. Directed by Koichi Hayashida, with longtime Mario director Takeshi Tezuka working as a producer instead of director this time. It was originally released in North America on May 23rd, 2010, and it received a Wii U Virtual Console update last year in January on the 15th. It's a sequel to the incredible Super Mario Galaxy, and the sequel itself also received incredibly high reviews and has featured on multiple best games of all time lists. It's one of the highest selling Wii games of all time, with just over 6.5 million copies sold. It's Super Mario Galaxy 2. Jules, please tell me why Super Mario Galaxy 2 is on your list. Um, It's just so big. It's such a big game. You know, there's so much fun um levels to explore you know and and they really kind of cranked up the difficulty a bit a little bit on two versus one galaxy one versus uh, two versus one um which was appreciated you know galaxy one is great um but galaxy two definitely stepped it up a little bit as far as like you know okay cool now there's some real challenge in here and it got rid of it just got rid of the fat you know it got rid of the whole level hub in galaxy one which was fine at the time but getting rid of it and, and pre- presenting a much simpler, streamlined... A more traditional menu, menu Mario system. world map, essentially. Yeah, was much appreciated. You could just okay. get right in. Um, and and it's just so inventive. You know, I mean, obviously the first Galaxy is, is brilliant in its own right. And two gets to leverage that and take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, and it's so inventive, so well done. Visually, it's stunning. The sound is incredible. The gameplay is, is wonderful. The player package is great. But it's so creative in the level design. And there's such a variety in it. You could really yeah. jump in there and have a, a lot of fun for a long time. So it's something that you can get so much replay out of um, and, and play. And it's, a, it's just a great challenge. It's a great thing to jump in there. Again, to chip away, but in a very kind of, you know, uh, bite-sized chunks, but quite challenging chunks. You know, some of the levels are really freaking tough. Um and yeah, it's massive. You know, it's just it's there's so many levels in there. Well, it's so, it's one of those things. Once you once you've gone through all of the 120 stars, you can just go do it again. And, yeah, and you get all the coins as well, and all the, it just keeps going. It's yeah, it's almost it's endless. Amazing. Yeah, it is. And it's just it's it's a great example of a sequel truly, um, just uh, focusing on all of the highlights and getting rid of any of the things that didn't quite work perfectly. Two really did that. It's just a, a, a really an improvement over one, and one was great. You know, one was a great game, Super Mario Galaxy. But two really, for me, it, yeah, it's um, really funny because refined it. It's really funny because Mario Galaxy and Mario Galaxy Two sort of split the fan base a little bit. I love Mario Galaxy, and then I I thought Mario Galaxy at the time was just one of the, the best things I'd ever played. It was yeah incredible, and yeah, then Super Mario Galaxy Two comes out and it. It just carries on being great. It's almost like they're two games together because it's very right. hard it's to decide. One big two. long game. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um, but there are many people like that. Like uh, I had Gav Murphy from IGN on the show, and he chose Super Mario Galaxy. And I spoke to him about Galaxy Two, and he, he just said he didn't like Galaxy Two, which is okay. Which is <laughs> obviously each their own, but very strange. Right. But it, I do see it on the internet a lot of talk about when Mario Galaxy comes up that many people are like. Super Mario Galaxy is the best thing I've ever played. Um, but I'm not interested in Galaxy 2. I didn't think it was very good. It changed too many things from what I thought Galaxy was good about. But then you've got many people like me and yourself who think Super Mario Galaxy 2 is just the pinnacle of what Galaxy started. Right. So yeah. it's very interesting because, as I think, they're both 
ultimately very very similar you, ca- you can't go wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> both you could play games. either and yeah you would yeah. be a happy happy person yeah i mean if suddenly number two was deleted from existence galaxy is a fine uh, you know contender for awesome there's nothing wrong with the first galaxy at all it's an awesome game but, so, you know. but for the purpose of this list, though, if Galaxy Two was deleted, would you then replace it with Galaxy, or would you replace it with another Mario would. game? No, I probably would. I mean, I love Super Mario. Uh, sorry, Super Mario sixty four um, is really an amazing game. I love uh, Mario Sunshine. Really enjoyed playing that a lot. Um, but Galaxy, for me, um, is a very focused version of those two games. Uh, where you just you kind of get down to it, but then Galaxy Two refined it even more. It really just got down to business. Um, so uh, yeah, no, I'd probably still pick Galaxy um, One if Two didn't exist. Yeah, but I love Sixty Four and Sunshine, you know. But but yeah, Galaxy really was amazing. I mean, I remember playing it and just being quite um, amazed, really, at what they pulled off. You know, um, it was like wow, they really <laughs> stepped it up. I mean, because Sunshine. I really like Sunshine, but a lot of people yeah. didn't like Sunshine. Um, it was one of those things. Sunshine, talk, talking about fat, Sunshine had a lot of fat. It, it had a lot of fat. It had a lot of fat. Uh, it and really I think did. That put a, a lot of people off because that yeah. fat but wasn't particularly great. The levels were yeah. good. They were typical Mario levels, but yeah. everything that surrounded that was not of as a higher quality as maybe previous Mario games. Yeah, for sure. Um but yeah, Galaxy was like, wow. Um, it's I was, it, you know, it would have been hard to imagine that that's what they would have come up with without <laughs> see, actually experienced it and go, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Because yeah. not only is it great in its own right, but they basically, you know, introduced the whole weird gravity thing. Yeah. Um, that now we take for granted, but then was like, whoa, that's crazy, that's cool. And, and then that's just one aspect of it. You know, the game doesn't really just I mean, the way the, that it, game makes your brain think yeah. or change. It yeah. makes the the signals between your brain and your hands have to almost flip instantaneously as you move around planets and the gravity yeah. is incredible. Amazing. It really is. And they leveraged it perfectly. I mean, it, 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 they, that could have easily presented a bunch of fat, you know, for them just to be like, look how cool this is. Yeah. Um, but they actually didn't. They kept it very tight, very focused, um, and they used it perfectly. So it feels really streamlined. It's like, wow, that's impressive. Um, and you know, and it's not like every level is the weird gravity thing. Some yeah. are very flat. Some it's you flying on those weird, you know, flying things or whatever. It's just you know, it's all over the place. So it's uh, yeah, what a great ride! It's all awesome. so really good stuff. You have a great history of making platformers, uh, mostly two D platformers. You right. know, your most recent game, Mutant Muds, two D platformer, very great two D platformer. You have Xenodrifter and all that kind of thing. Do you take inspiration from like the two D Mario games when you think about platforming, or more like the three D pla- platforming Mario games? Because we, especially with Mutant Muds, you have like the almost dual screen, the backwards and forwards um, gameplay where you can switch in and mm-hmm. out between different areas, which you kind of do in some Mario games in some part, but. Do you think when you play Galaxy, you're like, oh, I could, I could take this and I could turn it into two D, and this, this could be great. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I mean, game design to me is just game design, you know, and obviously some three D things can't be adapted to two D very well without um, losing what it is. Um, but yeah, all of all of the above, really. Um, um, you know, some of it, you know, even subconsciously, maybe not even realize that's kind of what you're inspired by, but um, yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, no, I think I think anything's fair game. You know, when it comes to game design, two D and three D is, uh, you know, it 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 you obviously you have to adapt something to work in three D or two D based on uh, what it is. But um, but no, uh, ideas can definitely be translated across. I mean, I mean that was actually really the thing with Muds. We originally made a three D platformer um, kind of demo. Um, for Mutant Muds on yeah. the DS many, many, many years ago. Okay. And that was the original kind of concept. Um, didn't really go anywhere, so we just kind of put it away. Um, and then later, you know, obviously then we started developing Mutant Muds. Um, and I was like, okay, well, how am I going to adapt what we did in 3D, you know, and now in 2D? Um, and we had, you know, the little jetpack and the hovering and all that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, you could aim and stuff in on the 3D one because it was a 3D platformer um, when you were shooting the water gun and stuff. So that was different. But the basic hovering mechanic, which is very similar to Sunshine, yeah. um, was something I really wanted to translate over. Um, and actually, actually, now kind of referencing a game I mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, Gargoyle's Quest, um, they have a, the hover mechanic in that game, and that's they're very much inspired what I wanted to do with our jetpack hover yeah. thing for mods it was like oh it's great you jump in the air you press it it gives you a certain time limit of horizontal movement and then it runs out again perfect um so it's very much inspired or stolen uh, from Gargoyle's quest um and it was a great adaptation of what we were doing originally on the 3d one but now yeah. doing it in 2d so anyway so that's an <laughs> example of 3d and 2d that can work but they, obviously they have obvious d- changes and differences to make them work in the different dimensions what what well, we're going to move on to talk a bit more about Mutant Muds in a bit, but um, <clears throat> do you think the Mario games have influenced your creative decisions in terms of making platformers a lot? Or is it more you think, no, I think I create these great ideas and I think I have my own sort of signature type of platformer? Um, no, I, I definitely reference um, Nintendo platformers a lot, you know, um, and whether that translates into hours executing things verbatim or just uh, loosely inspired. I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that. We certainly don't try to steal them uh, verbatim. No, just kind of like loosely, maybe um, subconsciously, but, as you said yeah, before, but, yeah. But definitely looking at them and seeing that, try, for me, I try to understand the decision-making on what the designer may have gone through to make the decisions they make. You know, yeah. it, For me, I don't think anything... Certainly in, in most Nintendo games, anyway, certainly the 2D games, um, I don't think any decision was made lightly. I think everything was made <laughs> very purposefully. So I try to understand why they maybe made that decision um, and then learn from that and then how that applies to our games. Yeah. Um, so, you know, really everything is in your game because you need it to be in your game, not just because Mario did it. Um, you know, because originally when Muds was released, you know, a lot of people... Um, commented on the fact that there's no uh, inertia you know there's you know when you stop you stop when you start you stop in, in mutant muds there's no slipperiness there's no acceleration deceleration you move and you stop on a dime um, and a lot of people didn't like that you know they thought it was stiff and and you know they prefer their loosey-goosey slidey you know awesome yeah. smooth kind of super mario stuff like, yeah well, that's cool um but the reason we didn't do that is because i want you to be able to land on an eight by eight tiny platform <laughs> good luck doing that with the mario controls yeah no you know thanks. um you wouldn't you wouldn't happen so for me i understand how someone may not like those controls and that's totally cool but 
for me, we designed the game to work with these controls. So those controls were purposeful and the game now, you know, the game, the player package is the yin and the level is the yang and you, they play together. They, they fit in like a puzzle piece and that they exist because of each other. Um, and that's, you know, and that's it. That's where it all comes from. Um, so that's kind of how we always approach it. So yes, I'm sure lots of, most of my yeah, inspiration definitely comes from Nintendo stuff, but also, you know, the early Capcom, Konami, kind of yeah. Super Nintendo era, because, man, they just did some amazing stuff back then. Fantastic. Well, speaking of platformers, we're going to move on to your last game, and you're going to have to tell me after the show what music to choose for this next game. <laughs> okay. So we're going to listen to some music that you're going to tell me about, and then we're going to go into your last game, which is a, it's a series first for the show. Um, so we'll listen to some music and then we'll talk more about it. last game on your list today a very poignant last game it's the first time anyone on the show has ever chosen their own game (laughs) so obnoxious am i (laughs) this time i usually introduce the games i would like you to introduce this next game so for my uh my last game i chose mutant muds mutant muds for the nintendo 3ds eShop. Oh, specifically the Nintendo 3DS version, not the PC yeah. oh, yes. or... Oh, no, definitely 3DS, yeah. Okay. So when was it released? Who developed it? Please tell me. <laughs> so it was released in uh, January 2012 uh, by Renegade Kid, their first self-published game on the eShop. Um, and it is a 2D platformer, um, which uh, introduced uh, one of the... Well, not not the first, but kind of... Uh, inspired or borrowed the mechanic of being able to jump between the the layers um, from the foreground into the background and from the action layer into the foreground. You can jump between the three different layers kind of in 3D. And of course, because the 3DS is 3D, you actually get the sense of depth as you jump into those different layers. Very much like Wario Land on the Virtual Boy, um, which was the big inspiration for that that aspect of the game. So... Mutant Muds, for anyone who didn't know, was a game Jules made. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. so Jules, yeah. the last game on your list today is obviously Mutant Muds. And you've specifically chosen Mutant Muds, not Super Challenge. Mm-hmm. So what, first question is, why have you chosen the original eShop release instead of the new one that you're trying to sell now? Um, I think, I mean, mainly it's just, I, I just so, it's such a more of an emotional, I guess, decision um, to choose that one over Super okay. Challenge. Super Challenge probably makes more sense, um, logically. Absolutely. Um, 
but emotionally it was it was a game that we made on the side while we we're making games for with publishers so we're kind of getting paid you know during the day to, to do stuff and then uh, in the after hours as it were you know we were working on mutant muds um yeah just as a side fun kind of project um so i really i had very little expectation for it um it was just really exciting to make something for ourselves for once you know because we'd been we'd gone through the ds era where we'd made games with partners. Um, and obviously we were lucky enough to make our own games like Dementium and Moon and so on. Yeah, um, first-person shooters to, for the DS. Yeah, I mean, but we still had to work with publishers. We, there were still some limitations to that, yeah. that, to that creation. Um, so Muds was the first game where we actually just got to make what we wanted for a change, literally, with absolutely no one else involved. And for me... An aspect of that that I was excited about and appreciated that we got to do as well was the PR aspect as far as how do we present this game to the world? You know, what screenshots do we use? What press release do we use? What trailers do we create? How do we present this game? Because I think that's very important on how games are presented to people um, on how they perceive the game yeah um, whereas you know partners we, 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 we had worked with in the past had sometimes done a really awful job at that um, like they'd released 20 screenshots all very similar from each other uh, they just released them all at once boom here you go really yeah. without much of a care and it really just makes the user think yeah the publisher doesn't care about this game why should I care about this game yeah um, it really just gives off the wrong the wrong vibe um, so, and so you I, got to I, meticulously and, make sure yeah you it had to go, well, it was all up to you, essentially. And you were like, no, I'm happy with this screenshot. This screenshot really portrays what I'm trying to say. With yeah. Obviously, you're trying to, your main selling, well, not your main selling point, but one of the biggest selling points is that you can go backwards and forwards between the foreground and the different layers. And in 3D, yeah. that's obviously a very cool thing. Yeah. A screenshot or a video can't exactly portray that. So mm-hmm. how did you sort of go about trying to be like, hey, guys, look, we have this really cool thing that looks really, really cool, but you can't see it yet. You have to buy the game first before you can see well, it. Well, the nice thing is on the, on the eShop, um, you know, we did make uh, a 3D uh, trailer. Okay, um, So yeah. the trailer that you view on the eShop is in 3D, which is cool. Um, and I actually did release 3D screenshots uh, that you can view on your 3DS uh, you can scan a QR code and it can take you to the 3D screenshot on your 3DS. So I kind of did things like that to try and show people what it would look like in 3D. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, all, you know, even in 2D, um, it's just neat to see your guy jump from here into there. Like, oh, wow, that's the background where usually it's just artwork and we get to go back there. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you come really close up in the foreground. Like, oh, that's neat. So even that aspect, even without the 3D depth, it's still, still neat, you know, to, yeah. to do that. Um so, yeah, so Muds was just, you know, an amazing kind of um, uh, moment for us when we released it and it, it you know, did well. And people seemed to really like it and we were really, we were really proud of it. Um, See, it received very good reviews. Yeah, it did well. You know, we went back and we added the granny levels. We added the uh, the ghost levels. So it has, was it 80? I think it's 80 levels in the original Muds now, which is twice as many as there are in Super Challenge. Um, so that's another reason I kind of went with MUDs is, okay. at, you know, because it has the regular 20 levels, um, most of which are very manageable. The last few are quite difficult. Um, but then it's you a have challenging the ghost game. Let's say. <laughs> it is. It is, definitely. It's known um, for its challenge. And then the ghost levels are quite different. They had quite a wrinkle to it. So that's another 20 levels of, of a different kind of 
thing because you can't shoot the ghosts anymore and you have to kind of avoid them so that's neat and then you have the, the granny levels on top of that which are really tough and that's when you open up granny and go back there and then you have all three power-ups at once so the levels the cga land levels are quite tough yeah um you have to navigate around those so it actually you know presents quite a variety of of, of gameplay so it's uh yeah so that's kind of why i chose that one over super challenge in the so end. then so then in terms of choosing uh super challenge what was the idea behind making super challenge obviously 2012 was four years ago now and you've just yeah. released essentially like mm, not like an upgrade more like a like a like a super version of the original like a con- yeah like a continuation kind of like lost levels in yeah. a way. Oh, okay. kind of like a, that's a good way to think of it yeah like so what tough... was the what was the idea behind this instead of making like an official sequel essentially like um, mutant muds I- 2 where you could do a little bit more experimentation, maybe. Yeah, I mean, a a true sequel would be a significantly different game uh, in in our mind. Um, So we wanted to do something kind of to release while the 3DS is actually still relevant. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, in a couple of years, who knows what we're going to be playing with, you know. Yeah, Uh, NX. So, yes, exactly. Um, So doing something like Lost Levels made sense where we can do something that we can get done in a decent amount of time. And I always liked the concept of Lost Levels where, you know, if you're a fan of the original game, being able to kind of play a game, uh, I guess almost kind of like Mario Galaxy 2 is to Mario Galaxy 1, where you can kind of just continue playing. Um, you know, like you've just finished the first game, now you're going straight into the second game without missing a beat. Um, Super Challenge literally does that. You know, you, level one is not messing around. Um, you need to know what you're doing. So and I kind of like the idea of that, making a game where you have 40 levels and they're all just bloody hard. You know, there's no difficulty <laughs> curve. There's no holding a hand. There's no signpost telling you what button to press. It's like, nope, you need to know what you're doing to play this game or don't play it. Um, and that was very kind of um, gratifying to be able to make a game like that. Um, that, And then add bosses, of course, and then kind of add some wrinkles to the gameplay, such as uh, little secret pathways with hidden hidden gems in there and uh, 20 secret characters. It was just really fun to kind of, um, yeah, to kind of come back to that world and kind of mess with it a little bit, you know? That's make some really hard levels. So um, your choice for mutant muds bringing it to your wonderful little animal crossing home is it more a gameplay thing or more an emotional thing it definitely both i mean i can i okay. still can play muds uh and still enjoy it which is surprising to me are you a um, master really, are you like a jedi i'm, pr- I'm pretty muds? good i don't know if i say as a master i'm pretty good um <laughs> there's definitely some levels that get the better of me and i'm like i'll come back to that later um <laughs> But uh, especially the last one in, in Muds, like the uh, 5-4, it's a tough one. Yeah. Um, but uh, And some of the secret ones are really, really tough as well. But um, um, yeah, but I, I can still enjoy it, which is amazing to me. Like a lot of our games I can't really go back to and play, especially if they're linear, story-based. You know, once you've done it, there's no excitement, nothing interesting, nothing new going to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what's going to come up around that corner. Whereas Muds is a little different because the pace... Um, it's a little bit more rapid and you know even though it's really simple like you jump shoot duck or hover and there's not much really you can do but because you're you're challenged to use most or all of those quite frequently in in succession in each level yeah um, it kind of keeps your brain entertained and it's quite quite fun you know um and it's quite tricky so I, I, i don't know it's almost like a puzzle game in a way um, where you really have to be on your game, not only strategically, but uh, your dexterity as well. So I kind of like that combination. Um, 
just I don't know. It's just especially when you're you know, familiar with it, it's you can kind of cruise through it without almost thinking about it. But it still feels quite gratifying um, when you make it to the end of a level. You yeah. Know? So yeah, I, I still enjoy it, which is amazing. Would you get um, Would you get a little frustrated that the uh, shoot 'em up construction kit wasn't able to? Be good, be a good enough engine for creating mutant mud super turbo challenge, perhaps. Yes, that would be frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice to make more levels for sure, but no, it'd be nice just to sit down and play it for sure. Yeah, and there's definitely a decent amount of variety in there, which is cool. I haven't got around to playing super challenge yet, but I really want to. I played mutant mud. I, re- I really want to. I re- yeah. <laughs> like as soon as I saw, uh, I can't remember when I saw the trailer. I think it was Game Explained. You were uh, interviewed with Game Explained not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Game Explained, obviously, a very good Nintendo focused channel, and they post a lot of things maybe that some people m- mainstreamly wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. Although I think Me and Muds kind of straddles that line between very popular publications like IGN, you're on Nintendo's voice chat. Um, right. Yep. Uh, picking up because I think eShop is very difficult for many creators because unless your game is a very good game and one that Nintendo maybe has some faith in, you will get buried under the yeah. swathes of crap mm-hmm. that can be on the eShop. It's it's becoming almost iOS level of bad yeah. crap. It's pretty competitive. There's a lot of crap on there. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Mutimus is this superb platformer game that um you know struggles that line a bit because it is on the wii u and the 3ds and the wii u mm-hmm. is maybe not as popular as it would like to be although right. i believe i really like the wii u so it's, yeah it's it's nice very, yeah mm-hmm. so i forgot what i was trying to say <laughs> but so i haven't got around to super challenge yet but i remember seeing the trailer for it and i was like oh wow more mutant mud levels that's gonna be really good fun so i'm looking forward to playing it sure. yeah I, I think it turned out cool man i i, I quite like it um because it, it not only is it quite challenging, but I think it, it's quite, it feels different, which is good. It, it, it has a reason to coexist with months as far as um, the increased level of difficulty, the, yeah. the bosses, the secret pathways. You know, you may get to an end of a level, think you've collected all of the gems and you're like, oh, I don't have all of 100. Well, how did I miss that? Um, I mean, every secret pathway has a little clue has like a little porthole where you can see through you can see a little gem spinning in there so just as if you're observant and looking out for it you'll find them and they're not like super hidden but it's just the extra thing that your brain has to be aware of while you're going through the levels which is entertaining you know it's simple but it actually does create a different experience um you collect uh the floating cds that'll open up the soundtrack in the jukebox rooms like over 40 tunes you can collect you know one in every level um so you can sit back and listen to those as well um and uh, yeah, so it, it does feel quite different, and obviously the secret characters as well. And then every third level is a is a, is a ghost level, so it does have that flavor in there as well. So um, and it, it's has it's it feels slightly more contextual uh, as far as your goal and what you're trying to get to, and and as you beat each world, how that connects to the last world, which is in the background. And eventually, kind of building up to the last kind of boss sequence, and then kind of beating the game, it it has a nice flow. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm very happy with it. I think it turned out really good. And Troop, who's does the music for um, Mutant Muds, did some new tunes that sound awesome, sound really, really great. So it's so that's always a pleasure as well. Like a really key aspect to the Muds games is just the music is just insanely good. Fantastic. So what was it like developing for the Wii U this time? Obviously, you've done a cross-buy, so if you buy one, you get the other on both mm-hmm. the 3DS right. and the Wii U. 
um, the original Mutant Mirrors you released on PC uh, mm-hmm. as well as the 3DS. What right. was it like this time being like, oh, do you know what, this time we're going we're gonna to put a little bit more development time in and we're going to make a Wii U version and a 3DS version? Yeah, that was key because the market is getting so competitive. Um, you know, we want to turn a give something or create something that the players will be interested in and then Nintendo will be interested in, you know, so give them yeah. uh, more encouragement to maybe promote it, you know, if, okay. if they like the game. Um, so it's definitely a, a, a marketing idea. You know, let's face it, the Wii U is not selling particularly well, so it's not, we're not really, no. <laughs> we didn't really make a Wii U version That's to make no money. no news to anyone, um, unfortunately. It, but it just made sense, you know, it made sense to, like the 3DS one is certainly the main one, of course. But for us to do both at the same time and both be crossed by, it, it gives more incentive for Nintendo to hopefully, you know, uh, support our game a little bit more. Yeah. And then maybe the, the Nintendo uh, community would actually notice it a little bit more as well because of that. That we get a bit more airtime, you know. I think that's kind of happened, hasn't it? it. I, I, see a lot of, I see a lot of people posting about Mutant Mads, actually. Well, yeah, I, I, think, I have done in recent weeks, anyway. Yeah, I think it, it, it's worked out pretty well. Um and development-wise, we know that was the decision from the beginning. So we just made one game um, with both of those platforms in mind um, um, and just made them at the same time. So it, it didn't necessarily take any longer um, because we just knew that from the beginning that's, that was going to be the case. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, really the nice thing is as long as I design it to the 3DS screen, which is the smallest screen of the gamepad and yeah. the Wii U TV screen, as long as it works within that screen, it'll work just fine on the other things. So, like the sprite work um, scales upwards to. You, well, you actually see more on the gamepad and even more on the TV. Um, okay. So the so the the smallest viewport is the 3DS. Um, as far as what you can actually see in the game through the game world. Yeah. Um, you see a little bit more on the sides on the gamepad, and you see a lot more all around the edges on the TV. Ah, okay. Um, so you actually have a slight advantage playing. I was going to say, does that make the Wii U the easier version of the three? Yeah, it, in a way, it does. Uh, I don't think it, you know, not in a big way, but yeah, you, you see a little bit more coming. <laughs> you will still uh, die. You will yes, still absolutely. die. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you see a little bit more coming than you would on the 3DS. Um, but yeah, I had to make sure it would work on the 3DS, yeah. otherwise that version would be unplayable. So um, yeah, but no, after that, it, you know, it wasn't too bad. I mean, from a programming perspective, Matthew, who is the 2D programmer, um, you know, his amazing you know and he does a great job at, at, at really making that seem kind of almost transparent to me i'm sure to him it's an absolute nightmare in the background kind of making sure it supports <laughs> you're, just, you're just happy making out like put this in put this in yeah <laughs> god uh, damn it yeah, jules he, right exactly <laughs> but he, he did an exceptional job you know and he really cares about what he works on what he does so uh yeah he, he handled it awesomely and it worked out great well, I'm glad it worked out. It's a very, I, the original Mutant Mouse was a very good game. So I'm looking Thank for. You. I know Appreciate what I'm that. doing today. I know what I'm doing today. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to play some Super Challenge. Be, Let me know how you do, man. Yeah, I it's, will. Uh, I definitely will. It's, it's a fun I'll, adventure. I'll be posting my death counter in the hundreds <laughs> right. for sure. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so Mutant Muds is the final game on your list today. A very poignant one, indeed. So the last question I ask everyone before I abandon you in the Animal Crossing world and I sail off into the distance and leave you alone to play Mutant Muds forever is if you could choose any console at all to keep, including the back catalogue, because as good as consoles are, then they're made by how good the games are on the console as well. If there's any console you could choose to have as well as the whole back catalogue for the deserted island, what console would it be? and Mm -hmm. Why have you chosen that console? 
Um, you're not allowed PC because PC can emulate things. So that, right. that's cheating. Yeah. I, I'd probably, you know, I'd probably have to go with the 3DS um, because not only is it backwardly compatible with the DS, which is very nice. So you get the whole yeah. DS library. Um, uh, I thought you recently. might say 3DS. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't, probably not. No surprise to no one, actually, uh, or to anyone. Um, but it also recently has you know, the Virtual Console Super Nintendo stuff, which that would have been a close, that is a close second. Super Nintendo had such an amazing library of games. Uh, a lot of the key titles are now on the 3DS, which is great. Obviously, it's not quite the same, but still, you I mean the essence is there, which is I'm, awesome. I'm playing Earthbound on my 3DS right now, yeah. and I think How it's amazing one of that? the best experiences. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Crazy, and right? being able to have the virtual console ability yeah. to say, have save states, yeah, it's kind That's of lame, same. but it's, no, it's awesome. so easy. Yeah. It's so easy yeah. and makes yeah. it such a better experience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the 3DS, hands down. I mean, the, the DS library is amazing. 3DS library is amazing. Um, and the virtual console stuff they have on the 3DS is great. Um, so, yeah. And I have a ton of cartridge games for both DS and 3DS, actually. Um, but also, you know, a ton of eShop games as well that yeah. I have on there. So, it's, yeah, it's just it's an amazing library. Such a great, great machine. So, yeah, I, hands down. It would, yeah, 3DS for sure. New 3DS. The small new 3DS specifically. You don't like the XL? You don't like the XL? I have the XL. I do like it, yeah. Um, I love the XL. I think it's amazing. Uh, I have the regular XL, which I really like, but the okay. new XL I'm not a fan of. Uh, <gasps> Why so? I, uh, the, uh, the glossy of the, the glossiness of the... Um, oh, out, of the, like, the shell. Kind of, kind of annoying. Okay. Um, the way you access the um, SD card is insane. Um, I actually <laughs> broke uh, my back plate trying to get to that thing. Uh, um, no, I, I do that. remember having to transfer data uh, from my old 3DS to the new one, and that was quite a pain in the ass yeah. because of where the memory was, card was. Yeah, because I, I was trying to put a bigger one in there. So yeah, me oh, too. That was yeah. a nightmare. Me too. Um, and there was something else about it that I didn't like. I can't remember what it is now, but there's a few things that I, I wasn't a fan of. Um, but I loved the regular Excel. It's awesome. Um, again, because of the matte finish. And it's slightly more ergonomically rounder, which is nice, the regular XL. Yeah, it's a um, lot more curved at the bottom. I do it get, is. My palms hurt a little bit when I'm yeah. playing the uh, new XL. But then when I got the new 3DS, the smaller one, um, that is awesome. You know, the size is amazing. Yeah. It has the matte finish. Um, uh, the SD card's a lot easier to access. It's just awesome. And now I have the faceplate with the suede kind of finish. Um, it just feels awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's perfect. Fantastic. Well, Jules, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking with me about those wonderful games that you've chosen and talking a bit more as well about Mutant Muds as well. It was a pleasure having you on your show. I hope you enjoyed today. I did. Thank you so much. I really appreciate chatting with it, man. No, thank I, I, you I, I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about you leaving me on this island, but at least I have some good good games to play while I'm be here. You know what you signed up for. You know I, what true. you signed up for. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining. Is, is there anything you would love the listeners to check out or where they can find you and all that kind of thing? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my, twi- my Twitter name is, is Jules Watcham. Um, yeah, J. O O L S W A T S H M. You doing okay over there? <laughs> I'm sure you're still surviving oh, over there. Sneezing um, like hell. Yes. I know, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I, only, I honestly thought the mic was on mute as well. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we all heard it. Oh, um, bugger. <laughs> 
I all of a sudden got a bit of dust in my nose. <laughs> right. Sneezing. Uh, I honestly thought I was on mute so I could let it all out. <laughs> right. So I, I apologize. Well. Please, please no repeat that because I sneezed over it. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm on Twitter. Uh, so Jules Watchroom is my name on there. Um, that's the main place to hang out. Yeah. And, you know, renegadekid.com, uh, rivertui.com for my uh, my solo stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, check out our stuff. We have all kinds of fun stuff going on. So Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely try Mew and Mud. It's a superb game. Really, really fun. Really, really thank fun. Thank you. Show that, No problem. Wow, thank you once again for listening to Final Games. This is the 14th episode of the show. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at LiamBME and the show at Final Games Show. And if you would like to email us, uh, you can email us at finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. Last week, I received a lot of emails. Uh, many, many of you reached out to me after the last episode uh, when I spoke about um, what happened with my grandfather and uh, Pokemon being a good thing. The really good conversation with Matt. So, so many of you told me about similar stories you'd had or uh, times video games had uh, got you through hard times and it was amazing to hear from so many of you. So thank you so much for sending me your emails. So if you would like to send me an email, yeah, that's at finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, so you can write reviews, rate, follow, all that kind of things that social media all do these days. And if by any chance you'd like to support the show, which already so many people have in just immense ways, like, I can't believe it, um, you can go to patreon.com forward slash final games if you feel like you want to support the show. Thank you once again for listening, and I'll see you again next week. Thank you to Jules for joining me, and goodbye.